everything you need is right here. All of your problems, yes, I'm aware. And when you're done, I'll be right there. You can call on me, cause I hear your
morning. Thank you so much to everyone listening online. Thank you to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse. Happy Monday. It's a new day, a new week, new opportunities. up we have the headlines gotta let you know what we're going to be talking about today of course we have stories out of the caribbean corner latin america stories from the international scene business and tech news health and science news got some sports and some believe it or not for you but first we gotta kick it off right get the day started right gotta give some thanks
it is 10 after the top of the hour coming up shortly we got the headlines keep it locked hope everyone had a wonderful weekend got some rest got a chance to hit that reset button hope y'all had some fun too As long as you got the chance to do something for you. in this last one from trinity 57 god's grace and then we're going to go ahead and let you know what we have coming up today everything you need is right here all of your problems yes i'm aware and when you're done i'll be right there you can call on me because i hear your It's 
It's a quarter past the top of the hour. Time for us to go ahead and let you know what we have coming up. What we're going to be talking about today. Thank you so much for that one, Trinity. Title track, God's Grace. Here we go. Good morning to all our listeners, everyone logged on and listening on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. Everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. And of course, gotta say good morning to my studio audience, courtesy of Clubhouse. It is Monday, May 15th. Halfway there, almost. Uh, halfway through the month. Yep. Uh, the month. The months are going by pretty quickly, folks. It is Move It Monday, and we do it in soca styley. <laughs> yes. Uh, gotta get that blood pumping. Get us ready to take on today's tasks. Thank you so much for joining me for Coffee in Tow World News on the Go. We do this every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. This is where I read the news and we share our views. You can find me on Twitter at me media moments on Instagram moments underscore with underscore me underscore media and on TikTok moments with me media. Follow, like, share, drop a comment, something. <laughs> All right. And here's what we're going to be talking about today out of the Caribbean corner. Salary increase negotiated for Royal Grenada Police Force. Every Jamaican must become digital in their thinking, says Wholeness. And the Trinidad and Tobago opposition leader says too many mothers are struggling. UN agencies concerned over refugee migration crisis in Americas. And five things a mom from the Caribbean will get angry for. Out of the Latin American corner, unaccompanied minor dies after stay in Florida migration shelter. Migrants are frustrated with the border app even after its latest overhaul. Hmm, I wonder why. How Cuba's sugar industry has been ground into dust on the international scene. Biden is going to Hiroshima at a moment when nuclear tensions are on the rise. President Zelensky meets with the Pope at the Vatican. China sentences a 78-year-old citizen to life in prison for spying. And South Africa to investigate gold mafia, which was uncovered by Al Jazeera. In news out of North America, one killed as tornado hits South Texas near the Gulf Coast, damaging dozens of homes. Marine veteran who fatally choked NYC subway rider Jordan Neely is freed pending trial. One year later, Buffalo honors the Topps supermarket shooting victims. 
New York to open first asylum seeker arrival center and additional relief center for migrants. North Carolina's governor vetoed a 12-week abortion ban, setting up an override fight. And the Supreme Court outlawed split juries, but hundreds remain in prison anyway. In business and tech news, a Minnesota man invents a bear-powered motorcycle. Oh, wow. Everything but gas. I don't think they're going to like that. In health and science news. So hospitals create a police force or they are going to be creating police forces to stem growing violence against staff. And in sports news, NBA playoffs. Jason Tatum's 51-point haul leads the Boston Celtics to series win. Memphis Grizzlies suspend Jay Morant after a video in which he appears to flash a gun. <sighs> we just don't learn, do we? Eagles quarterback and Super Bowl veteran Jalen Hurts just earned a master's degree. Yeah, and believe it or not, news, a Texas woman was killed by her boyfriend after getting an abortion. Police say Republican lawmaker who advocated to ban kids from drag show has to resign. We're going to have the details of those stories and more, but it's time for us to wake up, get our blood pumping. Let's get into some soca music. Here we go.
you finish with the clubbing? Are you gonna come to the mansion? Are you gonna stop with the teasing? Baby girl, you know that I want some. I just wanna wind your body. I just wanna wind your body down. I just wanna give you some love. Go down, down, down and the strong rum soaking up. The sun of Facebook, y'all. But it's time for the poking up. Tell your girlfriends I'm coming. Make a little room for the bad man. Tonight is pure rubber dubbing. I go and light you up like a lantern. I just wanna wind your body. I just wanna wind your body down. I just wanna give you some love. That's why I love her the most This girl, she crazy She's crazy, she's crazy This girl, she crazy She's crazy, she's crazy She get mad and she want break up The next minute she want make love This girl, she crazy She's crazy, she's crazy I love it when you give me that crazy Trust me, the next minute she down. One night she smile at me, the next night she won't. One time she believes me, the next time she all in my phone. Asking why I'm on Instagram, liking all the pics from Simone. This girl she crazy, she's crazy, she's crazy. This girl she crazy, she's crazy, she's crazy. She get mad and she won't break up. The next minute she won't make love. This girl, she crazy. She's crazy, she's crazy. But I love it when you give me that crazy one. Thank you to everyone. Thank you so much for joining me here on Clubhouse where the conversation happens. I appreciate you. And I got to say thank you to everyone logged on and listening online. Twenty-six after the top of the hour. Four minutes to the bottom. If you got to be there, be safe.
place you a bubble The way she move and make me want another double Yeah, getting some trouble I put you all up against the wall I want you to hold me girl And I'll let go Nice and slow, let the good vibe flow We go anti hard and I don't know I'm a kid with you tonight So baby girl, let me have some fun Yeah, all night long We are go drink rum till summer's done We were more fights with more than ready Keep them on right up till the sun comes up Gotta squeeze in one more for ya. Can't wait for my love. So baby, come my way. Gotta get you ready to take on the day. I know Mondays are usually the toughest days of the week. You know, Mondays should be day offs. That should be the day we used to get over the weekend. But we're gonna help to rock you into the week. enough partying time to get into business it is the bottom of the hour and as we always do we are gonna kick it off in the caribbean corner First up, salary increase negotiated for Royal Grenada Police Force. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. Members of the Royal Grenada Police Force, RGPF, will be getting a salary increase after a collective agreement was signed between the government of Grenada and the Royal Grenada Police Force negotiating team. The government of Grenada announced the ratification of an agreement with the Royal Grenada Police Force negotiating team on salary increases. 
for the years 2024 and 2025. The agreement, ratified on May 11, 2023, makes the RGP-FNT the second of seven bargaining units to accept government's offer for increases in salaries and wages. The first was the Teachers Union, the Grenada Union of Teachers. The RGP-FNT accepted increases in salaries of 4% and 5% for the years 2024 and 2025. In 2020, they had signed to receive salary increases of 4% for the year 2023. All right, so I hope that's good news for them. I hope um, the increase is beneficial to them you know, considering inflation. Yeah, just hoping. All right, next up. (laughs) Every Jamaican must become digital in their thinking. That's according to um, Prime Minister Andrew Holness. And this report is courtesy of jamaica.loopnews.com. In the coming weeks, I will be, and days, I'll be making certain announcements regarding the acceleration of Jamaica's intention to become a fully digital society. We are well on our way to this. We have established the national identification system. We have put in place our digital currency We have given directions to our ministries to digitalize their operations. Most of our ministries are now moving from paper-based systems to digital systems. Our military is transitioning. And when I leave here today, I'm going to the JCF's uh, program of digital transformation of the Jamaica Constabulary Force. The society is moving very quickly, very rapidly to become digital. Our banking consumers are seeing it as well because the banks are moving very rapidly to digital. I get the complaints all the time. Very difficult for people to get cash. People are being directed to ATMs and it's very difficult for some people to go and interface with a machine. They like to interface with a teller, but the banking system is is changing. You have something now called artificial intelligence. Very soon, this position of a a human being exchanging cash and so on, that is going to disappear from the banking system very soon. And you are going to have to interface with machines. I don't want it to be a scary thought, but it is a thought that we all have to embrace. So for those of us who are skeptical, who are afraid of it, we are here to support you. And so I'm giving this task, which we'll give to other entities, to the Universal Access Fund, that those youngsters who are going to get their technology training, that you should co-create a digital cohort who you will assign to ensure that our seniors and those persons who are not digitally literate have digital coaches to help them to access the internet and to show them what is a browser, how to enter information, how to download information, that kind of thing, because we need to get them on board very quickly. 
Digital is the way. And so every Jamaican must become digital in their thinking. And that means you must have access to the internet. And that is why the government is allocating this significant amount of resources, half a billion Jamaican dollars, to put up Wi-Fi access all around the country. So if you, if you can't pay for your Wi-Fi by virtual buying credit, you just wait till the traffic cool down and you come over to the park and you sit on your chair and you go on, you check your email, you can check your social media, you can send your messages, you can make your applications, pay your taxes, and then when you finish, don't spend too long on it so that nobody else can get on it. And then you go home and you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm laughing because um, I, I don't have a problem with the push for them to um, go digital. I welcome the quote-unquote well-thought-out idea that they're going to make the island digital. Um, I'm sorry, make the entire island have Wi-Fi access. Do I think it's realistic? No. I don't think so. I don't think it is going to be something that can be accomplished right away. It's going to take time. When you think about the hills and gullies, anybody familiar with that show, Hill and Gully Ride, oh, that used to come on on a Sunday um, back in Jamaica? So if you, and I think most of us in the Caribbean are familiar because the landscape is similar, right? You have the, the, the very rural areas. Are they going to be able to see to it that Wi-Fi gets into every nook and cranny of Jamaica? I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to start, of course, which is expected, probably start with parish capitals and then more popular towns within parishes. Um, with that being said, I hope that they're going to see to it that every school in the island has free Wi-Fi access so students can go online. I think we need to address those things before we start pushing digital currency and digitizing every aspect of um, the day-to-day -day experience for the citizens. Um, we need to fix the issue we have with JPS. <laughs> you know, we still have load shedding that still goes on. Ever since I was a child, it's still, we're still experiencing that. There are days when Wi-Fi is gone for a whole day from 8 to 5. Sometimes you're there in the middle of doing something and JPS, the power gone. And not everybody's fortunate to have a generator. Not everybody has solar. Solar is expensive to set up. Let's be honest about that. Not everybody has that. So you are left to wait until um, you're at the mercy of the Jamaica Public Service Company Limited. Let me say that. So if you're in the middle of a transaction, you're trying to do something, and let's say you're at home and you lose Wi-Fi access because the power gone, what do you do? Customers have been complaining about ATM machines for years, and on a really never do nothing about it. But then I saw an, uh, an argument and made me think. 
is the government of Jamaica being paid to push digital upon its citizens? Last week, I raised a concern that there are people who can't even get to open a bank account because it's the, what they're asking you for is ridiculous. And they're asking you, asking you for these things in the name of um, money laundering. Right? It's not as easy. Go right ahead. Good morning, Donald. Go right ahead. Good morning, morning, morning. Um, question is, um, you speak of getting Wi-Fi in the schools and stuff like that. Um, the question is, what is the goal? When you start putting Wi-Fi in the schools with the kids, with the phones and stuff, more distractions and all that stuff like that, is it really beneficial? Mm-hmm. Is it a case where there will be useful research or they would be on the phone with all the social media and stuff like that and then make it more difficult for the teachers and so to even conduct classes. So I think we have to be very careful with these things. When we're talking about free Wi-Fi and free this, yes, there are areas of businesses and stuff that you need to, certain areas you need to make sure you get it in there because it will help transform stuff, it will make things quicker, it will make things better. But um, I think like everything else, if we're just going to willy-nilly implement stuff without a, a real plan as to what we're trying to achieve, sometimes it could be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to be very careful with that, especially with the schools. Yes, thank you for that point, Donald. Good morning from TNT, DJ Teflon. Good morning, good morning. How's how, everyone how is the weather down there? Oh, I don't want to make you guys jealous. I'm not even going to answer that. Yeah, don't, don't answer. Don't, yeah, because I, I, I'm low-key hating really, on you already. No, all I can say is really, really hot. I'm not used to getting this kind of weather, so yeah, it's nice being here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I was going to say, um, this free internet, I mean, if, the, if, if it's based on the kids, if it's mainly based on... Um, the kids learning um they should they shouldn't then push it like for the in the whole city i mean shouldn't they just push it like like just give the schools um access for the kids and then restrict it because uh, most faculties they usually have um free internet access for for all students and then they just restrict it to what they can do so they can't go on social media websites they can only go into like the learning or the e-learning um, portals or platforms. Yeah, so I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure what they're trying to achieve. Um, I'm, I think if if they're trying to push Wi-Fi to the whole city, I think they need to get their priorities right. I'm sure there's they got more more serious things to be working on than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Teflon. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, I have to agree with both Donald and DJ Teflon. Um, There are other things that need our attention, aggressive attention. Things that we need to be fixing quickly. Right. Um, This urgent push. And when you think about the elderly, um, hold on one second. When you think about the elderly, you have many elderly persons, believe it or not, who cannot read or write right now. And to force them and say you're going to have coaches and all of this, whatever. I don't, I really don't see it being a practical thing to try and push to have a completely digital society in Jamaica. I think they were trying that in Nigeria and the Nigerians pushed back. Oh no, 
you cannot cut off cash from us and then the other concern i have is we're in a country where um and i think i'm already hearing dre's rebuttal for this one but when you're in a country where opportunities are already limited and people are complaining about um jobs and then people are also along with jobs complaining about earning livable wages when you go digital aren't you now getting rid of tellers getting rid of a lot of the banking staff the frontliners go right ahead moments i it's not a zero sum game so it's not like if you go digital or you push wifi and stuff that you anti something else and these are stuff that could be implemented in conjunction or should be implemented in conjunction with other developments because there is upsides to even operational upsides and stuff for businesses and so and the changing of the the business infrastructure and the general public at, at large when it comes to putting in things like free wi-fi and so so it's not something that we should like say okay there is we need to do this before we can do that these are stuff that could be implemented in phases as they need be based on what you're trying to achieve as to the replacement of people and stuff yeah technology would always replace a certain amount of people but what you would find is it is a shift not a replacement per se in my opinion so you may need a, a, a new skill set you may need people that is employed in different areas you may need to retrain people and stuff as to the old people and so and people in general who struggles to read and write maybe we could incorporate it into a literacy program that we can roll out and that literacy program could target you know adults who are able to read and write properly or able to functionally articulate themselves in that manner so it could be an overall holistic program so not only you learn to read and write but you get some experience as to how to operate digitally and so on all that is built into a program that can be spread out to throughout the country and in doing so not only the literacy goes up but you have people that are also technologically literate and it it would have a good impact so i'm saying it all depends on the announcements is okay but what are you trying to achieve Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we 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 speak about stuff without clearly defining what we're trying to achieve, and so we never know when we meet our target, because it's always a moving target. So you have to see exactly what you're trying to achieve and how we are going to do it, what would be the cost and what will the return. So if you look at that as an investment to society, you have to look at what will be the return on investment from the society that is impl- that the investment is made upon. So it's not a zero sum game. It's not. a one you know one size fit all but i think there is benefit to 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 both sides mm-hmm. yes all right thank you so much donal okay next story opposition leader in trinidad and tobago one rising moment good morning are you hearing me morning yeah okay. i can't touch yeah 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 go right ahead really quick yeah man yeah man go ahead all right so The story was what about Jamaica going digital? Right. So I played the clip. I'm not sure if you heard the clip, um, but I played the clip. No, I just. Uh, okay. So um, and there are various clips all over social media, different extractions. I played the clip that um, Prime Minister Andrew Holness is pushing, um, for Jamaica to be fully digitized and saying that every Jamaican 
must become digital in their thinking. And he, he is urging citizens not to harbor scary thoughts on transition to digital society, but to embrace it. He also mentioned that um, Wi-Fi access is to be made available throughout the country. So just to bring up to speed real quick, synopsis. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. No problem with Wi-Fi, you know, because that's how it run over here. So and other countries where them call so-called first world, you know, people have Wi-Fi access. No man is supposed to want to do homework and can't do no homework because them have no Wi-Fi, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And stuff like that. Apart from certain transactions. So cool. We have no problem with that. All of these other countries we are pushed for this digital currency or whatever, they're not gonna make it so all nice and like oh yes, you need it and you have to get on board because this is the future and this is what they're trying to accomplish. You get me, I said. Mm -hmm. But what about the other dark side where they're not gonna come out and tell you? Cause if me I sell something and we have a dark intentions, I'm not gonna come tell you the, the dark side of it. Uh, only thing I got to push the positive side, you know what I mean? See, I'm going to push the whole chip thing. Oh, oh, with this chip, you don't have to worry about no more work, um, taking out your wallet and anything like that. You just put your hand over it and you're good to go. You know, swipe your hand and you're good to go. A matter of fact, this chip thing um, can do other stuff. All kinds of foolishness, you know, entry into things, entry into your car is like an authorization chip. and uh, You use it to enter into your house. I just, well, oh, but I don't yeah, think they're so going that go, far yet. So let's focus on as it relates yet, to Jamaica. Not far yet. But with the Jamaica thing and this digital currency thing, all of them depend on a card. If me can digitize your money, me can control you. It's all about control. And I mean, look what China are doing. You hear everything that the US, <laughs> we're going over here in the US and why people are pushed back on it. What, the bank, them just now collapse out of a sudden, so. You get me, I say, all of these things um, in them order. You get me, I say, is one world order and everybody have an accord. Everybody link up, them have their meetings. And when they have their meetings, they talk what they might do, what they might try to accomplish, and why everybody have me for the under. So if me can control your money, you see me, I say, no, me can me control you. Right, but okay, so what I want, okay, so hold on, yeah, total answer, Alpha. So let us talk about how it is going to affect Jamaica and the Jamaicans. My concern, um, is the 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 group that that demographic, the elderly. How is it going to affect them when we push for the digitization, especially of currency? How can we make it easier for them to be able to go to the supermarkets, go to the bank? go into the marketplaces will we be is it reasonable is it realistic for jamaica when we think of how we are so accustomed to doing our business there is it is it a reasonable move do you think uh, we should uh, be make i mean giving timelines for certain things to be accomplished so that people don't feel overwhelmed go right ahead uh, again, they're going to try to push things to make the elderly come on board and all them something. You know what I mean? So they're going to probably tell us, say, hey, all right, you're elderly, you probably can't move, it's probably not feasible for you. So with this digitization thing we are dealing with, you just go on your phone, you are, you are provide the Wi-Fi, and you order what you need for order. 
you know what I mean? And we'll have things set up where it just come right to you. You get what I mean? Look where we're going over this again. Nobody enough to come out of them yard for basically go Walmart and a store again. Them just order and it come to them. You see me? So everything are digitized or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But again, that why that might them might show that positive side and that look fine and dandy. You get what I say? You have to look on the dark side, controls. No, if them some kind of if they might try to put certain medication for the elders, them, you see me, I say, and kind of my elders, I say, oh, they need them medication, whatever it is, but the government has say, at this end, if you push now, again, look what I'm doing during the whole COVID thing, you see me, I say, people can't go work and all kind of foolishness, you get me, and soldiers and police are walk up and down for keep people in them yard. What do you think he might do with the, with the elderly with want a certain medication, but they might push a certain medication or the elderly might say, yo, we don't want a medication yeah, because this is not the third. No, again, everything digitized. So what I do? Stop your money. You can't get no money because I tell you, say, you need to take this and you know, take it. You see what I say? They give you, so again, it's all about control. I know you might not get no, I get No, say, no Afa, 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 we totally understand what you're saying. But I think you're missing. We're going way off. Yes, we know what's going to happen. We know exactly what's going to happen in the future. And we know that the truth is we can do nothing about that, right? But let us deal with the yeah, hair. Yeah, you can. Okay, let us deal with the here and now as it relates to Jamaica and how we are going to help those who are not in favor of it, though the older folks, those who may not understand it. That's what I want us to focus on because I don't want us getting upset thinking about the future, which, yes, you're saying we can avert it, but we're not going to argue about that right now. Um, the Prime mm. Minister is pushing for a digital society. And let us talk about the pros and cons as it relates to Jamaica today. For mm -hmm. example, it is a good thing. And I'm, let, let, me, let me start off by going through some pros and cons for Jamaica. When we think of the number of um, heists that have happened so far, for example, beryllium, right? Um, it would be beneficial in that regard because... This, the volume of cash that has to be transported at any given time to service, to service an ATM machine or the transportation of cash from the Bank of Jamaica to a branch of any bank, commercial bank out there, you're going to be minimizing the risk because guess what? There's less cash floating around, so on and so forth. So yes, it's beneficial in that regard, right? Right, so that's a pro. We also can look at it, for example, supermarkets, large volume supermarkets that usually turn over millions, right? From my experience in banking back in Jamaica, on a Monday morning, it would be a teller's worst nightmare to have to count out the amount of cash that comes in from these large accounts on a weekend, from the weekend because of shopping. So it's going to ease that. So we understand that there are benefits where that is concerned, okay? But now the cons for me is when you're talking about the elderly who are not familiar, those who don't even have a smartphone. Yes, not everybody in Jamaica has a smartphone. You better believe it. So, and my other concern is JPS because yes, we talk about Wi-Fi. Don't we need electricity at some point to keep the Wi-Fi going? Is it going to be run off of a um, solar system 100%? So my concern is we don't have JPS efficient as far as I'm concerned. 
we don't have the efficiency no. that they ought to have so is it a feasible way to be pushing for a digital system when we don't even mm. have proper electricity these are the things i'm trying to address we understand world order and all of that and i don't want to talk about that no i want to talk about the situation at hand as it relates to jamaica is it a beneficial is it situation is it the right move is it the move that they need to be pushing on people so quickly that that's my well, concern well based upon where you read a while ago Again, yes, it's seen fine and dandy, but just know so further down the pipeline, what we say I got to take place. Florida already a pushback against it, the digitalization, because you already know what time it is. And, uh, you know, at this point, teach them one. If, if a man want to do it, them do it. But just make sure said don't further down the pipeline. When certain things start to take place and under control, no, make sure nobody no ball. And there's nothing you can do. You see me I say? Because uh, you already get caught up in the, the system and whatever it is and so forth and them tracking all kind of foolishness. You see me? So, uh, with that said, uh, to each and one, if, them, if people don't want to do them research and they just want to jump on board and the gov- them allow the government once again to push them for going or something like we do with the, with the pandemic, <laughs> uh, to each and one. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I want them situation where body just have to just make them one choice. So, one has a respect for you if you read over the thing for me and, me, and catch me up, Zin. Yeah, man, no problem. Well, if I should come in here, like, um, I understand both sides. You understand? But mm-hmm. in all fairness, it is very difficult for any country to progress right now without a certain level of digitalization you would literally be in the Stone Age. You know, the speed at which things are done and so on is is really important. The centralization of the money system now, that's where the problem lies. But you have to get a certain level of digitalization in any society right now. If you're looking at progressing, we have to. How we find a balance, that's the question. But I can't see any country developing right now to its fullest potential without a proper digital infrastructure. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, um, Teflon. And thank you, Afo. Our next story, UN agencies, or no, let me jump to this one first, out of Trinidad and Tobago. Opposition leader says too many mothers are struggling. Story courtesy of tt.loopnews.com. Opposition leader Kamala Persad uh, says this country's worrying crime rate, uh, as well as the negative state of the economy, continues to impact many mothers. She said too many mothers have lost their sons and daughters to violence. Too many mothers live in fear for their own safety and the safety of their children. Children are losing their parents siblings and relatives to criminals as violent home invasions continue to occur. We are hearing about harrowing reports of families being killed in their homes. The opposition leader again called for more home invasions to be a specific criminal offense as well as implementing stand your ground legislation emphasizing that they are critical in the fight against crime. Noting the disturbing killings committed against women, women, sorry, she said, um, for, she further condemned the gruesome murder of 25-year-old mother of five, Gabrielle Raphael, whose body was found in the Queen's Park Savannah last week. The opposition leader was also sympathetic to all the 
other mothers who lost their children to violence. In this regard, she said there's more government can do to assist them. Um, as I am reading that story, I'm reflecting on the MTM clip that I saw, that I watched over the weekend. Remember last week we spoke about the seven-year-old in Jamaica, that the savage attack on the seven-year-old. Well, I don't know how true it is, but I heard on the MTM clip that they have held an 18-year-old suspect in relation to that crime. <sighs> crime throughout the Caribbean is rising. Why? I'm not sure what's going on. But I also saw another clip um, on the weekend talking about weed, synthetic weed, and that it needs to be got rid of because people feel that the synthetic weed is having an effect on our young people, on people in general, anyone who smokes weed. And it's not just folks in developed countries but unfortunately the synthetic weed is now also in developing countries where we are not able to manage the effects effectively manage the effects the psychological effects when the body or the brain is altered with the synthetic um substance could it be that that is the reason we're having so many um, issues right now? Why, why, why crime is accelerating? I'm just wondering. Is it connected? Is there a connection? Or is it that these things were going on? And I think I've asked this question before. Is it that these atrocities have been happening to the degree that they're happening, but we were not aware of them because social media was not a thing? What are your thoughts on that? And we're hearing more crimes against women and children. Horrific crimes. Here it is in Trinidad, a 25-year-old mother of five, gone. Her five children will have to grow up with who? I don't know. Five children without a mother, a young mother. What's the new term they use now? Unalived. I don't know. Do we have a solution? I I think we need to stop or well, we can't stop it because shops have already got their license and are already operating um what you call these stores where you go and get your weed? What you call them? I don't know the right name for them. Dispensaries. Dispensaries. Thank you, Javet. Thank you so much. They're already operating. So what do we do now? Should we push for them to be shut down and stop the importation of um, synthetic drugs? 
Good morning, all. Good morning, Java. I honestly, it goes back to what I was saying the other day. It's not just the synthetic drugs. It's the food we eat. It's the things we drink. It is our mindset as far as uh, self-respect, emotional intelligence. Everything is just coming down on people at once and they're not able to handle it. Uh, it's not the first time that a young child has been abused. It won't be the last. And one thing I do say is I think in the Caribbean, there has been a switch to try to follow other nations or other places. And I can say for my family, it started off with clothing. They wanted to make sure that they have the clothing that we have in the States, you know, and then you have all the TV shows that are showing things that people claim they have when they really don't have. And it, it, it's just everything coming down at once. And unfortunately, I yield. Thank you so much, Javed. So <laughs> exposure is a double-edged sword. Yeah. I think we need to, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how. Um, so probably I'm here in my fairy tale world again. How do we teach young people not to glorify everything that they see, especially things in a developed slash first world country? How I don't think that's. It's not I don't possible. Think that's, it's not possible. Hundred percent not. <laughs> I mean, if you if you try to preach to them, they'll be like, "Oh, you're so old. Shut shut up, old man." You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, how they, you know, how they they talk to us when when you try yes. to put sense. I, I don't know how that's. I don't know how that's gonna work. <laughs> so it's gonna only. It's only going to get worse. Then right. But we have to create a balance. We have to find a balance. We have to find a way to get through to them. And you know something, to some degree, Teflon, I have to blame us as parents. I have to. And I think with every generation, there is some blame to be had, right? Every generation wants to make it easier for their children. So they... We loosen the reins, right? The things that I wasn't allowed to do. Okay, I'm going to allow my children to do. Are we hurting ourselves and hurting them in the process? Or are we helping them? Yeah, we spoil them too much. We give them everything. If they say they want the new J's, they get it. They want the new phone, they get it. Um, I never had that. Like when I was going to school I couldn't even get like the training trail I used to wear the 
the old listen my, my dad used to give me his clocks his old clocks to go to school like i couldn't I couldn't get my own i couldn't get the training trainers so it kind of made me who i am today you know to mm-hmm. appreciate certain things and so i think probably that that's probably the solution so if you got if you got little kids just um just don't 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 let them join the trends and yeah i think it starts from the beginning really but once once you've already spoiled them it's really hard to kind of get to them i mean teflon i remember anything i wanted i had to earn it i had to earn it are we doing that with our children are we teaching them to work for things and not just lay things on their laps as you said the latest sneakers I think I think some parents are doing it. Some parents are doing it. But if you're if you're doing that and then you're still giving them everything that they want, like making them feel like they can get like any just designers that they can come out. I think if if they want to grow with, with that mentality, although they had to work or um whatever, I think it, they'll still have that problem, you know. And especially if you if you let them watch too much TV, too much, yeah, too much TV, that's that's always a problem as well. That just that expose them to like the Western world, and and as you said, they see things that they think exist which it doesn't. And then I think like the elder generation probably have to learn the hardware as well. They probably have to go and experience it themselves. <sighs> you know, you know which store I miss. For my folks in the u.s i don't know if they have any stores anywhere else well i don't have younger children anymore but when my children were growing up i shopped at payless for them because how long the shoes going to last them as they're growing from todd through the stages toddler and up what three months four months six months not even that especially when when they play football with it and have you noticed they there's, they always have holes on top of the shoes. I'm, I'm like, yes. I had to, I had to, I had to ask my son. I said, do you do you walk with like do you walk with your feet like the top of your feet scraping the floor? Is that how you walk? Like how how do you have? <laughs> I can understand having holes at the bottom, but how do you have it at the front? You know the front top. At the top, yes. Listen, I was buying my I was buying my son trainers every two weeks. Every I'll be lucky if it's like four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just buy him cheap. I just buy him cheap shoes, man. Because I'm, I'm not, I, I, one time I bought him kickers. I spent a lot on kickers, yeah, and he he mashed it up within two months. I was so vexed. <laughs> so I just buy him cheap. I just buy him cheap shoes because I don't appreciate it. Yeah. So we need to simplify things. I think that we need to go back to that. We need to take our children as you know. For those who have teenagers, it's probably a lost cause right now. But for those who have young ones, or if you are the caregivers of young children, meaning probably grandparents, aunts, sisters, who you know, and you are taking care of young children, we have the opportunity to shape them. We definitely do. We have to know how to balance the scales. Yes, teach them technology, but with responsibility we have to limit their time there there are some four-year-olds who spend the entire day 
fixated device in hand. I've seen it. Is that healthy? Yeah, it's not healthy. I think parents use that to kind of get, get like keep them away, in it? Like if they're busy, they, they just don't want them to disturb them, so they'll just give them iPads, just stay on it. <laughs> How many parents are playing Scrabble with their children? Let's say between the ages of 8 to 12. How many parents are doing that? None. Monopoly. A basic card game. Find a word. You know that word search. How many people how many parents are doing that Connect now? Four. Okay. How many parents are doing that now? Not enough, I will say. Not enough. Moments. I'll I'll, I'll chime in on this one. Yes, so I have yes, Sean. So I have three toddlers, um, a set of twins, there are four, and, and a two-year-old. And, and that's my biggest concern is the, screen, is the screen time. Like I have one, so I've, the twins are a boy and a girl. The girl can sit, if you give her a tablet or if you give, or if you put her in front of the TV, literally you, she can sit there and be content but she's watching a screen all day. So that's why I'm very diligent with her as to limit how much screen time she's actually watching per day. Like she doesn't even get, I don't allow her more, more than 30 minutes because after that it's excessive. And, you know, and, and she, and literally she's zonked in on it. Whereas, whereas her twin brother, he can take it or leave it really he his attention span is so short like he can't even sit there through through a show like she can and it's it's getting to a point where literally we're relying on devices to to babysit our children when like you said we're not really taking the time out to be to to properly be our children's first educators, be our, be our children's first teachers. And I, I get it being, being a busy parent working. And so I, I understand that, that the kids got to be occupied somehow, but at some point we, we got to find, we got to find a balance too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to. So it falls on whose shoulders? The parents. Where aren't we the ones buying the devices? Yeah. <laughs> We're the ones buying. The, we are the ones saving up our coins, making the sacrifices because we don't want our children to feel left out. We're the ones who are doing it. So we, we will have to stare ourselves in the, look at ourselves in the mirror, stare ourselves in our faces and have an honest conversation with ourselves, hold ourselves accountable and see how we are going to make a change. Yeah, I think what makes it worse as well is when they go to their friends' houses and 
they've their friends have got everything. They've got all the computer games. They've got everything. All the iPads. So when they come home, they expect the same thing. Mm-mm. And then, yeah, I think the the modern parents they they kind of feel bad because they never had it when they was young, as you said earlier. So they want their kids to kind of experience what you didn't experience. Yeah, but it's just damaging at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, as Sean said, it's all about the um, the balance. So I've got to find that perfect perfect balance. So maybe reward them, like can still have device, but just reward them, give them like a little bit of iPad time or computer game time. Yeah. And yeah. once they grow up with that mentality, they'll get used to they'll get used to it, and then they'll know like if you tell them that enough's enough, they'll understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. We're, we are we, we are just going to have to hold ourselves accountable, folks. And we're going to have to stop shifting blame to social media platforms for the outcomes. We're going to have to. You cannot allow TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or any social media platform to have more control over your child than you do. If you say to your child during the week, you get home from school, have a snack, play a little bit, not on a device, play, let them run up and down in the house. If they're not able to run up and down outside, let them do some board game, something so they can relax their mind. Then I don't know how you do it. If you do have dinner before or um, homework before or after dinner, get them into that mode if they're going to be on a device if you need to put them on a device let it be something educational that they're being exposed to we cannot rely on technology to raise our children folks we can't when for those of you parents who drop your kids off at school your children at school what are the conversations you have with your children in the morning is it learning the latest song you hear on the radio or are you trying to open up their minds, whether it takes you five minutes, 10 minutes, or 15 minutes to get them to school? What, what is that conversation like? Are we talking to them about being decent human beings, how to be compassionate, respectful, how to make the right choices? Are we telling them that we love them? What are those conversations? How are we using those increments? Because we get it. We have to work. But how are we using those increments effectively? Got to use what we have, right? Take advantage of the opportunities, no matter how small they may seem. It's up to us parents. We cannot allow our shortcomings to cause us to lose our children. Right? Next story, UN agents is concerned over refugee migration migration crisis in the Americas. Sorry, story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. 
raising concerns about fresh restrictions on Caribbean and other migrants and refugees following the United States' lifting of a COVID-19 pandemic-era measure known as Title 42, UN agencies have called for great multilateral action to regularize movement across the Americas, including the Caribbean. The UN Refugee Agency and the International Organization for Migration issued a call for a more collaborative approach to better respond to the anticipated impact of changes on the southern U.S. border. The challenges facing the Americas call for ambitious, innovative, and principled cooperation among all stakeholders. The agencies said such a plan must be based on international law and genuine solidarity to advance protection and solutions for refugees and migrants, and align with the framework laid out by the Global Compact on Refugees, the Global Compact for Safe, orderly and regular migration, as well as the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration and Protection. Welcoming positive initiatives to expand resettlement and other pathways in the region, the agencies remain concerned about new restrictions and access to asylum following the long overdue lifting of the Title 42 public health order by the United States. Barriers preventing people from exercising the fundamental human right to seek asylum are unacceptable and contrary to the state's international obligations. It's incompatible with principles of international refugee law. While the number of people approaching the U.S. border has grown in recent years, the U.N. agencies said that the majority of the people on the move in the Americas are still hosted by countries in Latin America. Well, I'm not sure what the plan of action is and how they are going to um, deal with this. Granted, good news though, they, they their expectations were not met, so to speak, as it was lifted. So that's good for them, right? Um, Earlier this week, New York Governor Kathy Hochul issued an executive order to help provide aid to Caribbean and other asylum seekers expected to arrive in New York as Title 42 immigration policy um, expired. Um, Kathy also said the executive order will provide the state of New York greater flexibility to procure the resources necessary for municipalities to support asylum seekers while also allowing the state to increase the number of National Guard service members who are going to provide logistical and operational support. Executive Order 28 allows the state and localities to quickly respond to the anticipated arrivals of asylum seekers. New York, I hope you all have a lot of space up there. (laughs) Florida is being emptied out. Oh boy, but um, on a lighter note, five things a mom from the Caribbean will get angry for. Oh Lord, this one is going to be pretty interesting. <laughs> I'm sure some of us do it. Okay, so let's get into this one. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. If you grew up in a Caribbean household, then you know there are certain things a mom will get angry about. And every generation has learned through trial and error the actions or 
lack of, <laughs> that you should not test unless you want to see the bad side of the woman who is trying to raise you to one day be a responsible adult. While they may seem trivial, you can get a mom from the Caribbean angry by doing or not doing just some of these things. One, forget to thaw out the meat. <laughs> This act could potentially determine if she will still cook any dinner depending on the level of annoyance. Most children who grew up in a Caribbean household would have felt the fear of realizing the trouble they're in after their mom specifically asked them to take a pack of meat out of the freezer to thaw it out to cook, only to remember the mere minute before she actually gets home. Many would have still taken out that pack of meat hoping to fool her, but don't be fooled. Mom knows <laughs> you just took it out by looking at the frosted package in the sink. Uh, any of us guilty of that? <laughs> have any of us ever done that? Or as parents, have we asked our children to take something out the freezer and they forget completely or they do it at the last minute? When they know you're about to walk through the door. Mm, yeah. How about this one? Leave dirty dishes in the sink. <laughs> Speaking of the kitchen sink. Nobody. Trust me. Not even me. I likes cleaning up dishes. But somehow. Moms always have to deal with more of the cleaning up than usual. That being said. Never. Ever. Rest a dirty plate. Fork. Spoon. Or cup in the sink. After mom already took her time to clear it. Because the next thing you're going to hear is. Who oh, leave the dirty plate in the sink? Are you going to answer? <laughs> Nobody ever knows who did anything. Especially if you have more than one. Two children you might be able to figure out. But this one you go past two. Trust me. No, nobody ever does anything. A ghost came in the house and did it. I don't know. That's the that's the number one answer. Ah, number three, a locked bedroom door. <laughs> Russell, I think you had that conversation on your on um, last week. Was it last week Thursday? I think you had that conversation with the, one of the shows you are on. Terrible arguments have occurred between teenagers and their Caribbean mothers over this act of privacy unless you are an adult or you actually built the room closing your bedroom door will get you in trouble as a caribbean mom always wants access to every room in the house especially if you're not paying any bills in the house or you didn't put that door there <laughs> folks um i think i think it's safe to say that we are all alive because None of us tried this one talking back. Mm -hmm. Are you feeling brave enough to argue? <laughs> then don't think you could get away with giving a Caribbean mom back chat, especially when you're still little. The eye that you will receive and the subsequent response will put you in your place and bring you right back to knowing who is in charge and how much liberty you can give your mom. I think all of us um, <laughs> dare not. And if you have something to say, you better be as respectful as possible. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's at any age. I don't think it goes away um, with us. 
this next one not greeting every auntie and uncle don't even think about going to a family function and forgetting your manners even if you have 20 aunts and uncles on either side of the family you better make sure you say your hellos and good afternoons lest you receive the steely stare of a mom who would never want other family members to think you did not grow up with any manners. And we know that these are just some things from the Caribbean that Caribbean moms will get angry for. And we also know it's not just Caribbean moms, but we're just honing in on those. Can anybody else um, remember any other thing that if you ever did it, you know you're in big trouble? I think they covered the ones that top the list do we have any more have you experienced any of these with your children huh i'm thinking greeting was a must talking back you better not do even me at my old age better not do locked bedroom door that's a hell no dirty dirty dishes in the sink you better not even think about it go right ahead Maybe running in and out of the house. Oh, yes, Annette. That's that's one. Slamming the door. Never slam a door. <laughs> you better not. You better not. You better not. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Let me ask you a question. As I'm thinking, how many of you have to ask your children or tell your children? Small, medium, large, and I'm using that for ages right to wash their hands they go outside they come inside wash your hands how many of you have to do that every day throughout the day it's covid times every day all the time and you have to constantly be saying it right yeah yeah why don't they just do it because their hands are clean they just washed it four hours ago what are you talking about <laughs> so i'm asking because my 18 year old Yesterday, I told him to dump some shoe boxes. I don't know why they have these empty shoe boxes in their closet. So I said to him, take them, take them outside, break them down and put in the recycle bin. He comes back in, comes to his room, takes up his phone. I said, did you wash your hands? But I just washed them before. I'm like, did you touch the garbage can outside? Yeah. I said, and what do you think? Now you, I said, that's how people get sick. You're 18. I shouldn't have to tell you to wash your hands after touching the garbage can. They come home from school every day. And I don't know what it is with kids. Everybody wants to go to the kitchen first off and straight to the refrigerator. Did you wash your hands? Oh. Oh. No, I did not. Okay, can you go wash your hands, please? Every day? Every day? Why are we doing this? But, um, yeah. Just being lazy, isn't it? I don't know if it's lazy. I, I, I don't even know if it's lazy. I really don't know, Teflon, but I, and, and it's yeah, not just they know, yeah, yeah, they know the consequences, and you've obviously raised them to do those basic things, so I think it's just pure laziness. They're just so eager to go and get their snacks or whatever in the wow. fridge. And it's a global thing, folks. It is global. Don't just think it's your child. Many parents go through this. And as Teflon pointed out, you raise them to do the basic things and they're still not doing it. Go figure.
All right, we're going to take a quick break, a little more soca music. And then when we get back, we have stories out of Latin America and from the international scene. Keep it locked. Kerosene, fire. Gasoline, fire. This little girl, fire. Why not start a fire? Why not start a fire, girl? Why not start a fire? Bam, bam, big on a beat like Jum Why not start a fire? Start a fire, girl. Why not start a fire? Bam bam big and a beat like jump jump. You look good, panigram. You look good in a real life too. When you dance, anything is possible. Roll like tsunami, 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 tsunami. I wanna wine on you, mommy. You ma, you ma. Eh eh. Why not start a fire? Why not start a fire, girl? Why not start a fire? Bam bam big on a beat like jump jump. Why not start a fire? Why not start a fire, girl? Why not start a fire? Bam bam big on a beat like jump jump. Me tell you already, body gooder than gold. One shot of the any got me all over yo. Why not drop below, drop below, drop below, baby? Why not shake the ground? Shake the ground, shake the ground, baby Roll like tsunami, 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 tsunami I wanna wine on you, mommy You, ma, you, ma, you, mommy Roll like tsunami, 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 tsunami I wanna wine on, I wanna wine on, I wanna wine Eh, eh, wine on, start a fire Wine on, start a fire, girl Wine on, start a fire Bam, bam, big on a beat like you A big thank you to everyone logged on and listening on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. Thank you to everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. And of course, a big thank you to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse.
later on tonight on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com and JanoRadio.com. It is Days After Dark, Real Relationship Talk. Set your alarms for 10 p.m. Eastern and join the crew moments with me, Javette, Sonette, Rosolo, and Marlon. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please join us right here on Clubhouse. Sexy lady, move your body. For us to get back to business, time for stories out of Latin America. For a first story, uh, unaccompanied minor dies after stay in a Florida migration shelter. Cause of death is not yet known for 17-year-old Angel Eduardo Maradiaga Espinosa, who was discovered unconscious in U.S. custody. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. The United States government has confirmed that an unaccompanied minor from Honduras died in its custody earlier this week amid heightened scrutiny on immigration as the controversial border expulsion policy Title 42 expired. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, issued a statement on Friday acknowledging the death of 17-year-old Angel. He was, well, he had been discovered unconscious at a migrant shelter in Safety Harbor, Florida, and after resuscitation attempts at a local hospital, he was pronounced dead. 
The 17-year-old's passing is the first known death under the administration of Democratic President Joe Biden of a youth migrant or asylum seeker. An estimated six children died in custody under his predecessor, Republican Donald Trump, with several succumbing after falling ill and one after contracting sepsis. In a statement about Maradiaga Espinosa's death, the department said it was deeply saddened by this tragic loss. The statement explained that HHS was in contact with Maradiaga Espinosa's family and that it was reviewing all clinical details of this case, including all inpatient healthcare records. A medical examiner investigation is underway. The cause of death was not immediately defined. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre briefly addressed the death during her Friday press briefing. Acknowledging that the medical investigation was opened on May 10, being a mother and celebrating Mother's Day on Sunday, it is very devastating news, she said. Um, it is sad indeed. No child should have this outcome. No one should have this outcome. None. So we're waiting. I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't want to jump the gun. So I'm going to wait for the um, autopsy and the, re- the, the results, the report of the autopsy to be disclosed. Let us hear what's going on. But I, I have a question. I think I asked this question a couple weeks ago. Do we have any update with regards to the children that were taken while Trump was in? when they had the separation at the border. Some children were sent to Florida. Some sent to other states. Do we have any updates? Have those children all been reunited with their families or given to family uh, members here in the U.S.? Do we have any updates on those? Because those, you know, just seem to have evaporated like everything else after a time nobody okay so it seems we have research to do where exactly in florida is safety harbor i have no clue yeah i know i I sound ridiculous asking the question and i am here in florida no that's the name of the facility oh that that happened because like there's a place in new york where they housed um people who were migrants or, or illegal immigrants for some um, noted legally immigrants. Um, Wacken Hut, like where's Wacken Hut? It's not an actual place oh. on the map. It's, it, it's a facility. Oh, so okay. don't feel any way for not knowing that. <laughs> you can't know everything, you know? No, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that for me. Wow. Okay. So I learned something new today. Yes. All right. I wonder where that facility is located, though. Huh. You may find it on the map. You actually may find it if you, if you really Google it. But some things they're, they're trying to, to keep, like, not so loud. Yep. So they can do the things. <laughs> I'm pretty close to Chrome, though. And I've, if any of you um, are familiar with the Chrome Detention Center, where they keep a lot of... Um, folks that well that's where they keep folks that they're um deporting or planning to deport 
Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. That's where they that's where they put the people in whacking hut is people who were either arrested or detained because they were either going to be um deported or they found that they may have committed some sort of crime. Um so yeah, it's it's both it's especially for people who don't have legal residency in the US. That's the word. Legal residency. Legal residency. Yeah. But it leads me to ask this question, and I, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent because we do have another story as it relates to migration. Um, so I saw a video over the weekend. I can't play it because it does have curse words in it. I'm really trying my best not to play videos with curse words because it, of the time of day. And yes, there are children who are in vehicles with their parents going about their business. Okay. Um, from my understanding, the state of Florida last year made 11 or $12 billion off of migrants who are not documented. How did they do that? Through this program called ITIN. And I think we, we spoke about ITIN here before. So ITIN, you're able to do it through the irs.gov website and it allows you to pay taxes. Do you get benefits? Not really, right? But it helps, they say, when you are looking to become, um, to get your green card, to, when you want to adjust your status, right? You want to become legal. It shows that you have good intention. It shows that you are gainfully employed and you are contributing to the state's economy. So, between 11 to 12 billion dollars was paid in state taxes in Florida through the ITIN program by undocumented workers. So if that revenue is there, why not seek to give them green card status instead of getting rid of them? Wouldn't it benefit the state better to do that i don't know wouldn't it benefit the country overall to say let us take this approach you've been here let us say you're working two years you know something let us fast track this person to residency status but instead we treat every single person as a criminal i don't understand what is the reasoning? So another comment I heard, um, Ron DeSantis was saying that they're burdening the healthcare system. There's no damn burden on no damn healthcare system. Damn healthcare system is the biggest scam in this country anyway. You make so much money. I had, I, I think I said it here. I had an outpatient procedure, outpatient procedure, well, classified as an outpatient procedure because I wasn't kept overnight. Major surgery, but I was kicked out of the hospital the same day. Within hours, as long as that you get out of, um, when the, and the anesthesia wears off and you're awake and you're, they keep the observing for a couple hours and uh, uh, bye. Bill. Sixty-something thousand dollars. So don't tell me about burden on healthcare system. We are footing a bill for at least twenty-four people per person. Sorry, I know my math is up, but whatever. 
And then he's trying to throw in crime. We have homegrown terrorists right here. What are we doing about them? And I'm not saying that everybody who comes over is squeaky clean. I'm not saying that either. But let us have some reasonable conversation. And I think these ideas have been floating around. I don't think it's anything new. You want to tell me that we're the only ones who are thinking it? Fast track them. It's the country stands to benefit. No. Instead, we politicize everything and use them as a weapon. And then we instill fear and we further divide, cementing. Um. <laughs> That's true, Javed. If we bring in more migrants, they'll lose their political power. <laughs> migrants are frustrated with the border app, even after its latest overhaul. And this story is courtesy of um, NPR.org. Do I think <laughs> it's intentional to frustrate them? Yeah. NPR listeners, Planet Money can tie any topic back to the economy. And from launching a satellite to adopting an abandoned superhero, they make it educational and entertaining. Click the play button below to listen to a recent episode. Support for NPR comes from Amazon Business, a 2023 lead sponsor of Planet Money. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Learn more at amazonbusiness.com. Now that Title 42 has expired and the Biden administration is relying on other tools to try to manage the U.S.-Mexico border. That includes a mobile app called CBP-1, which is now the main path for migrants seeking asylum there. This week, the Biden administration rolled out a major overhaul of the app. But as NPR's Joel Rose reports, some migrants say it still doesn't work. At the foot of the Paso del Norte International Bridge in downtown Ciudad Juarez, a half dozen men from Venezuela are hunched over their phones. One by one, they look up in disappointment with a familiar message on their phone screens, system error. When you log in, the app kicks you out. This is Luis Suarez, who's 37 years old from outside Caracas. The app he's talking about is CBP-1, and it's currently the only authorized way for migrants like Suarez to sign up for an interview at the port of entry just across the bridge in El Paso where they can begin the process of seeking asylum in the U.S. Suarez says he's been here for six months trying to get an appointment with no luck. The app opens up at 9 a.m., and at 9.01, you can't register. It's a waste of time, even now that it's been updated. This has become a familiar sight in Mexican border towns. CBP-1 has been plagued by glitches since its launch earlier this year. This week, U.S. immigration authorities made some major changes to the app that are supposed to make it work better. But these men by the bridge in Juarez say that's not happening. It sends you back to the beginning, and when you try again, the appointments are gone. You have to wait until the next day. Immigration authorities say they have heard these complaints about CBP-1, and they've been trying to make improvements to the app. They've increased the number of appointments available, from 750 to approximately 1,000 per day, border-wide. And those appointments are now available throughout the day, instead of at the same time. 
We believe that the changes have been uh, working well. Blas Nunez Neto is a senior immigration official at the Department of Homeland Security. He says there may be some, quote, minor issues with the technology, but the main problem is volume. Even with more appointments available, it's still not enough. We fully appreciate that there is strong demand for the thousand slots that will be available, but we believe the new process will be much better for everybody. Immigration authorities say they've also tweaked the CBP-1 scheduling system to prioritize migrants who have been waiting the longest for an appointment. But again, migrants in Juarez say that's not what they're seeing. Carlos Carrillo is a 23-year-old from Carabobo, Venezuela, who says he's been here since January. Just trying the app, the app, I've been at it for more than four months now. Despite his frustration with the app, Carrillo says he'll keep trying. That's not even an option for Denise Hernandez, another asylum seeker from Maracaibo, Venezuela, because she doesn't have a phone. It's a lot of hardship, but I'm not blaming anyone because we made our own decisions. Hernandez, who is 52, says she was a political activist in Venezuela and can't go back. Her family crossed the border earlier this week to ask for asylum. Her daughter and grandson were allowed into the U.S., but Hernandez and her husband were both expelled. He was returned to Juarez, while she was sent to Piedras Negras, almost 500 miles away. She took a train back to Juarez, which is when she says she was robbed of the only phone they had. We have to wait to get another phone and try it through the app. Otherwise, we will be turned back again. I'm afraid. Hernandez and her husband are hoping to earn enough money to buy a new phone so that they can try the CBP-1 app again. For now, they're sleeping in a tent on the street a few blocks from the Paso del Norte Bridge, with the El Paso skyline clearly visible just across the Rio Grande. Joel Rose, NPR News, Juarez, Mexico. Do I think it's deliberate? Yeah. They know what they're doing. The goal is to frustrate. How many of us have had to um, conduct business online, especially through a government portal, and you get frustrated? How many of us have called a government facility to, to conduct business and you're on hold, wasting time, and you feel frustrated? Me, personally, I think it's a deliberate act. I don't think they want it to work the way it ought to work. That's me, but I may be wrong. What do I know? Hmm? What do I know? Nah, but you're right. I think it's just frustration. They want them to turn back or something or stay in Mexico. But every time you call these um, government buildings, they're always on break. <laughs> permanent break that long song in the background playing for 30 minutes 40 minutes an hour every guy i don't care especially the irs oh my lord <laughs> every one of them is the same thing i've been on hold of the irs for about an hour 20 minutes before just waiting just and, and, and the worst, and the worst, the worst one is when you finally get through, and then you get cut off. Yes. Then you have to start all over again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's designed to frustrate the life out of you. That's my opinion. 
But anyway, I'm going to play a video. Uh, uh, yeah, let me play this video here. Let me turn the volume up. You know, I always retreat. Watch this video. This is happening across red states. At 4 a.m., Republicans in the Iowa Senate passed a bill allowing 14-year-olds to work night shifts, 15-year-olds to work assembly lines, and 16-year-olds to serve alcohol. They're trying to use child labor to fix their labor shortage. Now watch this. In our story, you will see only two photos of children working in a slaughterhouse. Because of privacy, two with obscured faces are all the U.S. Department of Labor would give us. But two may be enough. Their hard hats read PSSI for Packers Sanitation Services Incorporated, the nation's leading slaughterhouse cleaning service with 15,000 workers in 432 plants taking in more than a billion dollars a year. Not, it seemed, a likely abuser of children. Shannon Rebelledo is a 17-year Labor Department investigator who was skeptical, but she went to Grand Island, Nebraska last summer after a middle school told police about acid burns on the hand and knee of a 14-year-old girl. The student explained that she worked nights in this slaughterhouse on the edge of town. What did the educators at Walnut Middle School tell you? It seemed to be known within the community that minors either are or were working overnight shifts. They told us about children that were falling asleep in class, um, that had burns, chemical burns. They were concerned for the safety of the kids. They were concerned that they weren't able to stay awake and, and do their job, which is learning in school. Because they'd been up all night. Right. Up all night at the JBS Slaughterhouse, an immense plant that produces 5% of the beef in America. JBS can butcher 6,000 cows a day here, but each night the plant was turned over to PSSI for cleaning from 11 to 7 a.m. That's terrible, isn't it? Now, that happened at the end of last year, around about November. At the beginning of this year, JBS ended up settling for about $1.4 million. But I want to show you something. Now, if you remember, at the beginning of the video, the creator mentioned that Iowa just loosened their child labor laws that would allow children as young as 13, 14, 15, up to 17 years old to work third shift, late night shifts. JBS has meatpacking plants, three of them, in Iowa, as you can see. The third one, I didn't take a screenshot of, but here's two. As of 2023, JBS has spent $110,000 on lobbying. Here are all the things that they're spending their lobbying money on. And as you can see, labor and antitrust in the workplace, they have two specific issues. Oh, and education. Take note that the data for the most recent year was downloaded on April 24, 2023, and it includes money only spent from January 1st through March 31st. Now let's go back to the first creator's video. And this next part is completely related. Governor designs school voucher bill after Iowa Senate passes it early Tuesday. 
The Iowa Senate passed a bill to use taxpayer money to fund private school scholarships. Money that would normally go to Iowa public schools will be diverted to private and religious schools. About 90% of the kids in Iowa are in public schools. In fact, most have no access to private schools. So Iowa is defunding schools and also rolling back child labor laws. This gets kids used to working for minimum wage. It's all related. They want our kids to work for theirs. Here's everyone who voted yes to loosen child labor laws in Iowa. Watch this video. All right, so we say there is a labor shortage. We have migrants who want to work and migrants who will work. Watch the video that and um if it's an undercover person i would say went into some part of florida up in polk county and pretended to be a representative of a dairy farm went around trying to recruit folks went to some white people some of the questions the white folks asked um, him, what are the hours? He said, from 2 a.m. in the morning until 12 p.m. or 2 p.m., something of that nature. They, they, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. That's too early in the morning. Oh, no, those hours are too long. Um, how much is it paying? Oh, no, I, I can't do that for that money. And everybody he went to was excuse after excuse after excuse. And then he came across... Um, a Hispanic man and he asked him the man right away said when can I start he said but hold on hold on before I can take you on are you documented he said no he said I'm sorry I can't take you went to another one it was the same thing sorry I can't take you stumbled upon another one not asking how much is the pay what are the hours nothing when can I start? So Americans are complaining that migrants are taking their jobs. I don't know how when you're not taking the jobs that are there. Another video, an, another undercover video where they went into, you know, those state... Um, hiring departments where you can go and you sign up for jobs oh my gosh workforce i think that's the right name for them okay so the man went into workforce um and spoke with one of the leaders there and she said nobody's coming in and the people who want the jobs we can't take them because they're not documented but she's facing the same issue and the jobs are sitting there. They can't place, they can't fill the jobs because nobody wants those jobs. For the first time, la uh, for the first, was it Friday? I think it was for the, no, I don't remember, but it was for the first time and I was ever hearing a commercial on radio in South Florida asking for people to come and sign up on a construction site. I've never heard it. It was the first time in my life.
we don't have a labor shortage. We have people here who are willing to work. Let them work. Let them work. Go right ahead. But I got a question. Yeah. Uh, where do these slaughterhouse get these kids from? Is you know, I believe they grown these they, they these these are some of the kids they take away from parents and they growing them somewhere to be at a certain age, then them distribute them to different slaughterhouse or or send them out to work different places. Cause where are these where are they getting all these kids from to work in these places? And no parent, the parents are giving up their rights to these kids. I don't think so. I believe they're using a, a lot of illegal kids, or they're taking away people kids, and you know, putting them in this slaughterhouse to work. Because I don't think every single parent is out of their mind to let their kids go work in certain areas. I know it's, I know it's hard out here for a lot of parents. I know you know things are tough. But I don't think all these parents is out here doing this just for money, for letting them kids go out there and not going to school and stuff. It's just it's just puzzling me for them where they get all these kids from. It has to be these kids they take away, you know. Or I guarantee, if you go through this slaughterhouse, most of these kids are migrants. I bet any money if you go through these places, most of them are migrants. Boy, Marlon, I don't know. Empress says in the chat that parents are probably working right next to them. Virginia said you would be surprised, Marlon. So chances are the parents are there. Could be migrant parents too. And every every penny adds up. Everything. We need as much as we can get because, you know, um, we don't have to pay them minimum wage. We pay them less than. So they're probably forced to say, hey, um, you got to come with us, you know. I mean, as I know people, I know, well, they're in their 20s and they do work to help their their, their moms or the rent or whatever they have to do. But 14 and 12 and 16, I understand that, but I don't know. It's just crazy. It is. So we're here rolling back the age we want young children, and we, we understand this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I came across this article, the Rockefeller fellow. <laughs> the Rockefeller fellow, yeah. Um, the Rockefellers, they don't want, and they did not want a nation of thinkers. They want a nation of doers. And the only way you can accomplish that is to control the education system. You want teachers to get frustrated, you pay them little, right? You want children not to do well, you teach them the bare minimum. And you control what they're exposed to, what they will learn. Seems like it's all a part of the plan. So you, you um, give children candy. You get them hooked, right? Well, in this case, money's the candy. And they're going to look at earning money 
as being more important than, com than completing high school even. And for those who complete high school, they're going to say, I don't need to go to college because I can make some money. But what am I making? Bare minimum. And they're not thinking about that. They're forced to think about survival here and now. Seems like a plan to me. I don't know. But you know, go ahead, um, Marlon. No, go right ahead. We all get in survival mode when, it, when certain situations hit. All of us, uh, we know how to survive. We have to get a job or certain things. I only can speak for my situation when I got in this country. Yes, I, I was working, you know, I didn't have certain things and I have to do what I have to do. But what I went through is not compared to what some of these people are going through. And I, I don't think what I went through was tough. And I would never let my kids go through what I went through, you know, because it was crazy. You know, so I don't, you know, I know some parents out there, they do their thing. They have to do what they have to do. And I understand that. But I think they need to just find a way for their kids. You go out there and do the sacrifice or something. Let your kids get a better education. Let them do something so they don't have to be in a part of the system like you are. You can't get through certain things because it's, it's not easy to be a migrant in this country. It's not, you go through a lot of stuff. And I wish some of them would just decide to just go back home. I know it's not easy to go back home or they got stuff to do or it's, there's people trying to kill them or it's poverty. But I believe it's much better. You just go home and figure it out and try to come back another way. Or stop coming through with all these people. Figure something else out. Figure something else out because there's, they don't want just us here. And you want to come here? Just figure it out. Just go go somewhere else and come through another way. Something. You know, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know either, Marlon. Um, Empress says in the chat, some companies like to place their remote workers only in Iowa to keep the wages low. Very strategic indeed, Empress. Certain companies, they know exactly what they're doing. They know very well what they're doing. I don't even understand how these companies are allowed, but then again, I understand. Yeah. But it is crazy. Like, when you're talking, you keep, when, when, you, when you're passing a law that a kid could work a night shift, mm -hmm. I mean, but there's an easy way to solve the problem with these companies hiring and doing all these things, but you can't see it on the air. No, we can't. No, we can't. Um, I don't know. It pains my heart to see what's going on in a country that was colonized, that was captured by people who are not indigenous to the country and then making rules to keep everybody else out, thinking it's their country. It really pains my heart to know that you came, your, your forefathers came to this country looking for an escape. They had to escape. They wanted, they, they needed to run away. 
and they were welcomed and then you want to shut everybody else out nobody treated your forefathers like criminals who processed them by the way and many of those who are sitting there and they were actual criminals and they were actual criminals they came raped stole and murdered i'm sorry it is what it is it is what it is we have to acknowledge and accept the truth and those who are in washington those who represent us every single one of them there their forefathers came to this country don't get it twisted every single one regardless of your race your ethnicity it doesn't matter every single one of you your forefathers came to this country but you forgot huh i guess it didn't oh they they made you feel that this was they were born here that they're no 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 uh-uh uh-uh don't get it twisted they ran away and came to this country looking for religious freedom many of them economic freedom trying to escape persecution war so on and so forth and the list goes on the very things that many asylum seekers are looking for but you have forgot as long as you made it through you are good and don't forget and i will remind everybody this country was built by immigrants and in case y'all forgot it is still run by immigrants don't you forget that next up we go to stories on the international scene biden is going to hiroshima at a moment when nuclear tensions are on the rise this story is courtesy of npr first is the news you need to start your morning you'll hear the three biggest stories of the day plus reporting and analysis from npr news Click the play button below to listen. Support for NPR comes from Amazon Business, a 2023 lead sponsor of Up First. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Learn more at amazonbusiness.com. In August 1945, the U.S. dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan. The city was destroyed and more than 100,000 people were killed. This week, the person with the sole authority to launch America's nuclear weapons, President Joe Biden, will visit the city. He's there to attend the G7 summit. As NPR Scott Detrow reports, the trip comes at a time of rising nuclear tension around the globe. On the 75th anniversary of the bombing in the middle of his presidential campaign, Biden wrote that Hiroshima reaches through history to remind us of the hideous damage nuclear weapons can inflict and our collective responsibility to ensure that such weapons are never again used. On Thursday, he arrives there as a man who holds that responsibility in his hands. Biden won't be the first sitting president to visit Hiroshima. That was Barack Obama. Hiroshima teaches this truth. Technological progress without an equivalent progress in human institutions can doom us. 
In 2016, Obama visited the city's peace memorial. John Wolfstall helped Obama plan that trip and worked on broader nuclear nonproliferation during the administration. He says Biden's upcoming trip isn't quite the same. Then Obama was making a clear decision to visit Hiroshima and confront what happened there. Biden, on the other hand, is coming to attend the G7, where he and other world leaders will discuss a wide range of topics. Still, Wolfstall says the trip will inevitably carry heavy symbolism. You have a sitting U.S. president, a man with control over the world's most powerful nuclear arsenal going to the first place where nuclear weapons were used. That has impact. That's especially true at a moment where nuclear tension is higher than at any point since the end of the Cold War. The invasion by Russia of Ukraine and nuclear threats to back it up, ongoing testing of missile capabilities by North Korea, the growth of China's arsenal. President Vladimir Putin and other top Russian officials have repeatedly threatened to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Biden has repeatedly responded. Russia would be making an incredibly serious mistake if we were to use a tactical nuclear weapon. Susan Burke says she's been shocked by Putin's nuclear blustering. Even in the coldest days of the Cold War, the U.S. and the Soviets continued to carry on a very substantive dialogue on nonproliferation issues because they were mutually concerned about the threat of further proliferation. Burke worked on nuclear issues at the State Department for decades. Like other nuclear experts, she's been especially alarmed at how many times Putin has pointed to Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the fact that it was the U.S. who first used nuclear weapons against another nation. The fact that it was done once doesn't mean that it would be okay for someone to do it again. Burke has signed onto a letter urging Biden to take advantage of his visit to the site of the first nuclear attack and deliver a major speech on nuclear threats. Regardless of where and when it happens, John Wolfstall says Biden does need to lay out a clear policy and soon on how to de-escalate all the growing nuclear threats the world is facing. What is the policy that's going to tie these different pieces together on China, on Russia, on North Korea, on Iran, on our own nuclear arsenal? And how are we going to try to turn the tide, which I think most objective people would recognize has been very negative? A National Security Council spokesperson says Biden will, quote, pay his respects to the innocent who lost their lives and will, quote, reaffirm the U.S.'s commitment to nuclear nonproliferation. But the broader G7 agenda will remain the focus. Still, Biden is expected to begin the summit with a visit to Hiroshima's peace memorial alongside other G7 leaders. And they may also meet with survivors of the bombing. Scott Detrow, NPR News, Washington. All right. In our next story, Zelensky meets Pope Francis at the Vatican. Story courtesy of NPR. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky held talks with Pope Francis at the Vatican on Saturday, saying it was a great honor to meet with the pontiff, who has previously offered to do what he can to try to end the war launched by Russia's invasion of Ukraine a year ago. Zelensky held his hand um, of his heart or of as the Pope. Let me read that again. I'm so sorry. Zelensky held his hand of his heart as the Pope, using a cane, came to greet him before ushering the Ukrainian into a papal studio near the Vatican's audience call. In a written statement, the Vatican said the two men spoke about Ukraine's humanitarian and political uh, situation provoked by the war going on. The Pope assured his constant prayer, paid witness to by his many public appeals and by his continued invoking of the Lord for peace since February of last year.
Both agreed on the need to continue humanitarian efforts to help the population. The Pope underlined in particular the urgent need for humanitarian gestures toward the most fragile persons, innocent victims of the conflict. Last month, Ukraine's Prime Minister met with Francis at the Vatican and said he asked the pontiff to help Ukraine get children back to get back illegally taken children uh, that Russia took during the invasion. Saturday's communique from the Vatican made no mention of that, and there were no immediate details from Zelensky's side about his meeting with the pontiff. Ahead of Zelensky's arrival in late afternoon, police moved tourists to one side of St. Peter's Square so the Ukrainian president's motorcade could speed across the vast cobblestone space. Okay, next up. China sentences 78-year-old U.S. citizen to life in prison for spying. China ain't playing with y'all, U.S. Got it together. You you want to, you know, you got to know how to pick your battles. According to BBC.com, a Chinese court has sentenced a 78-year-old U.S. citizen to life in prison on spying charges. John Xing Wan Leung, who is a permanent resident in Hong Kong, was jailed on Monday. The court in the southeastern city gave no further details of the allegations against him. John was arrested in the city two years ago by a local bureau of China's counterintelligence agency, A news release from the court said he was found guilty of espionage, sentenced to life imprisonment and deprived of political rights for life. It is unclear where he was living at the time of his arrest. A a spokesperson for the U.S. Embassy in Beijing said they were aware of the reports. The The Department of State has no greater priority than the safety and the security of U.S. citizens overseas, they said. Oh, by the way, do you know that uh, Ron DeSantis said Chinese can no longer buy land in Florida? Yeah, just FYI. <laughs> I know there has to be more to that story, and I'm trying to dig it up. I'm trying to get a clear understanding as to why he's saying that they'll no longer be allowed to buy land in Florida. While, um, what's his name? Man with the glasses, who is who's a tech guy, but into into vaccines, going around the world vaccinating everybody. What's his name? Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah, while Bill Gates owns the most farmland in the country, he owns over fourteen thousand acres just here in Florida alone of farmland that he ain't doing a damn thing with. <laughs> South Africa to investigate gold mafia uncovered by Al Jazeera. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that authorities are looking at several individuals that were mentioned in Al Jazeera. Story courtesy of aljazeera.com. South Africa has launched an investigation into several people involved in a gold smuggling and money laundering scheme exposed by Al Jazeera's investigative unit. In a speech to the Parliament of South Africa, President Sir Ramaphosa said this week the investigation was in the inquiry stage. He said, we are committed to preserving the integrity of our financial system in the interests of the broader economy and ordinary citizens. Uh, Details of the steps that are being taken cannot be divulged at this stage without compromising the investigation. 
The investigation is a direct result of Gold Mafia, and I think we spoke about it here a couple weeks ago. A four-part series of Al Jazeera's investigative unit, I-Unit, into gold smuggling and money laundering in Southern Africa. In it, Al Jazeera revealed how a group of money launderers and gold smugglers had effectively taken over several South African banks by bribing key members, allowing the criminals to send large amounts of illegally obtained money overseas without raising the suspicions of the authorities. <laughs> it's funny how things have to uh, be leaked for everybody to pretend they never knew about it. <laughs> I, Jared, go right ahead. Good morning, by the way. I was sure I saw Jared open his mic. Okay. Yeah. I'm always amazed at how. Where are you, Jared? You're in. Jared, you're in the matrix. You're in the matrix. You're in the matrix. Yeah. I always find it amusing. Everybody's going to pretend. How could that be going under the radar? Oh, it's raining. It's thundering outside and i forgot to pick up my stuff from outside oh lord but yeah how can you um not be aware that large amounts of monies are being moved out of the country how does that work nobody does audits paper trails nothing like that hmm. didn't know about the gold mafia <laughs> I refuse to believe that. I'm sorry. I can't accept that. I think y'all knew. But somebody blew the whistle. So now y'all have to. Y'all huddled. <laughs> you have to be at your job. And they call these emergency meetings. And everybody's huddled together. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, Jared put in the chat. I was applauding your keen observations of the willful blindness. Yes. Thank you, Jared. Yeah. You know, yeah, the company and you have to have a quick huddle because something is going on that you got to be made aware of right away. And then you have to um, do uh, you got to get proactive or well, in this case, it's reactive. You now need to know what to do. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, we got to fix this real quick, you know, and you got to make things look good. <laughs> we have a saying in Jamaica, Tom is drunk, but Tom is not no fool. Tom drunk, but Tom no fool. Yeah, we ain't dumb, folks. We are not dumb. All right, we're going to take another quick break, another soca break. Let me... <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me stop laughing. We're going to take another soca break. When we return, we have stories out of North America. We have business and tech news and also some health and science news. So keep it locked. Party time. Party time again. Party time.
Thank you once again to everyone listening online on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com, and everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Of course, a big thank you to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse, where the conversation happens. Thank you so much for tuning in to Coffee in Tow, World News on the Go. And it's time for us to go ahead and get into stories out of North America. We 
This is America. Some unfortunate news, though, to start off this segment. Um, Excuse me. One person was killed as a tornado hit South Texas near the Gulf Coast, damaging dozens of homes. The story is courtesy of the Associated Press via WSVN. One person was killed when his mobile home was crushed as a powerful tornado tore through a community near the southern tip of Texas before dawn on Saturday, damaging dozens of residences and knocking down power lines. At least 10 others were hospitalized, including two people who were listed in critical condition. That's according to Tom Hoshen, the emergency management coordinator for Cameron County. The tornado hit at about 4 a.m. as most people were in their homes asleep in the in in the unincorporated community of Laguna Heights, located on the mainland across from South Padre Island off the Gulf of Mexico. The county has among the highest poverty rates in Texas and is dotted with substandard housing. Hmm. There was no evidence or no advance warning. Instead, the first warning of a tornado went out at the same time it was touching ground. And that's according to Barry Goldsmith, who is a warning coordination meteorologist for the National Weather Service in Brownsville. Again, we are seeing communities, low-income communities, always bearing the brunt. How is it that they're only going to be made aware as it is about to touch down? Hmm? Okay, and then let's talk about the substandard housing. I should probably ask um, my Texans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Javed, come on. <laughs> come on, Javed, so, so to be honest with you guys, where I am in Houston, we get warnings on our cell phones, the TV, the radio, your watches. And sometimes the news stations are tracking these things, but I've been in the place where it just comes down just just out of the clear blue sky and you really don't have a chance to do anything. It's mother nature. Okay. So hopefully I'm not speaking too loud. No, you're fine. You're fine. Oh, okay. You're fine. So I'm, it's just unfortunate that's one thing we can't control is mother nature right all right so we won't argue that one substandard housing so my question javed if an area oh before i ask that let me let me ask this or ask it this way instead um are there certain areas in texas that are more prone to tornadoes than other areas or right now with climate change It's anywhere. Right now with climate change, it's willy-nilly. It's it's anywhere. Okay. A a tornado can hit across the street from my house, and I have no warning. It still rains on one side of the street here. (laughs) It still (laughs) rains on one side of the town, and it's nice and sunny on the other side of town. I thought it only happened in Florida. Nope. So, thank you, Jabet. Substandard housing definition. According to Google, 
The state housing laws and the Uniform Housing Code define substandard housing as any condition which exists to an extent that it endangers the life, limb, property, safety, or welfare of the occupants or general public. Hmm. So, some examples of substandard housing as, de- as defined in the Health and Safety Code 19720.3 are hazardous electrical, plumbing and mechanical equipment that is um, hazardous, infestation of vermin or rodents, deteriorated foundations, floors, support systems, walls, ceilings, or roofs. All right, so that being said, who are the political representatives for these communities in which they have um, substandard housing? Who represents these people? Any community across the country. Do, they, they do have representatives, right? I'm sure these people go. Yes, they do. Okay. Um, they have a lot of it. So, for instance, in San Francisco, uh, they have they had an entire commission. They still do mm-hmm. a commission that, that is assigned to this. And uh, maybe about 10, 12 years ago, uh, you know, the public housing, right, uh, is run by the city, right? And so they found that the public housing much of them were rat infested, you know, they were falling down and you couldn't get anything done because you had these boards that were appointed by mayors and they were kind of loyal to the mayor. And people came to the conclusion that the city would just was not good at running the upkeep of, of public housing. So they turned over the management of the public housing to the private sector. All of a sudden the public housing got remodeled, got fixed it's, it, and it's kept in shape. And then they just said the government can come in and provide the social services for the people in this housing. So uh, they did a public-private partnership, which in the city has worked better. But usually it is your city government that is in charge of, of determining, or your county government that is in charge of doing this. Mm. Mm. So they don't see, so these representatives, these representatives, they don't see these people and see the conditions. They don't... Um, have inspectors that go out and come back with a report saying, okay, we need to address these areas. These things um, are dilapidated. We don't have that in Texas. Or we have it, but nobody's enforcing it. Nobody cares to enforce it. They're poor people. Who cares? You know, why should we care? Whatever. Is that the attitude? Or we only reach out to them when it's time to campaign because we need to garner their votes. Being poor does not mean that you should live in danger. Shouldn't. Being poor should not mean that you better say a prayer if the rain starts falling because of the the condition of the home you live in shouldn't be not in this country not in a first world country the best country in the world the richest country in the world where corporations brag about how much money they are able to make net where churches are hiding 
billions of dollars in shell organizations but yet you have people who are going to the church for 20 years and asking for help because they're facing an economic crisis and they go to the church and ask the church for help and they tell them sorry we can't help you because you have not paid enough in tithes oh yes that that's that 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 happened <laughs> just happened yet yesterday on um was it 60 minutes or for what station but yeah churches it was 60 minutes thank you marlon killing it billions of dollars in money stashed away and people are living like this isn't the work of the church let's let us take the government out of it for a second isn't the work of the church to reach out to the community and take care of people mm -hmm. yeah thought about that but then okay let's bring back in the government you pay taxes one way or another if you, you probably if you, i'm sure some of them own the land that these dilapidated structures are on and they have to pay the taxes right mm -hmm. if they want to keep the land and the property they have to so why are we ignoring them you talk about separation of state and and church there ain't no damn separation i'm sorry they're they're both the same well at least here in the states these mega mega churches mega corporations government they're all the same everybody turns a blind eye to those who are truly in need and then we say well this is America everybody has an opportunity really does everybody really have an opportunity or are some people given a head start Huh. Moments. Yes, yes, Javed. I do have to say that there are still a lot of people that don't even ask for help. There are homes in my neighborhood that basically look like if I come and just blow, they would fall down. But yet I see in their yard a nice new car. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do they want to get out of their situation? I'm not going to say I, at this point, I can't put it all. I could put a good percentage on the government right. and a good percentage on the church, but a closed mouth don't get fed. Closed mouth don't get fed. I agree. Now for those homes, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, Javed, those homes where, yes, um, they're not up to par, but they have the newest or latest model Mercedes-Benz or BMW or whatever parked up there. Let's take those out. Those are people who really don't care. They don't care. But I tell you something, Javet. You have some people who don't ask for help because they're too embarrassed to ask for help. And it's the belittling that happens sometimes. And many times... They are not helped because the person they're seeking the help from wants to put them on public display and show the community and show the world. Ah, see what I've done for Javet. I helped Javet get a new roof. And if you can't allow them to put you on public display, they really don't want to help you either. So then it's a choice between your ego and your pride. I don't know if I would want my business out there for the world to see. I don't know.
know. It's it's a I don't know. I don't want to be taken advantage of. That you know, so I should other in other words then uh Javet, just woo, if you heard that's a lot of thunder outside, folks. I'm sorry. Hope we don't lose connection. But um why am I apologizing and it's not me doing the thunder outside? <laughs> but um why so what if it's uh, what if it's a choice between you and your children? I guess we have to suck it up and deal with the humiliation and the embarrassment and let them put us on so public why display. You, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> but why do we have to put people on public display though? Why do we have to do that to them? Don't, don't we think that it's already humiliating enough for them to even seek help? Because many times people who seek help will tell you they feel as though they have failed. They have failed themselves, their families. They feel like failures. And then to yeah. put them on display makes them feel that way even more. They appreciate the help, but they feel this. Oh, I can't find a word right now. Go ahead, Marlon. No, I was about to say they put them on public because they want to um, pull on people's heartstrings to get more donations and more, you know, more funding from the government or whoever, whoever they get. Not even the government, just, just, just people just donate to them because if they feel like they can put you out there, we will get sorry for the people and we will donate. You know, so that's why they want a lot of people to go out there in the public to um, say so they help you and pull on heartstrings to get money. I I think that's why they that, that's why they do it. Okay. All right, let me check the chat. Wallace is asking why is it embarrassing? It shouldn't be Wallace. You're, that's a good question. It should not be, but I think we are in a society where people are shamed for being poor. They're made to feel um, less than just because they're poor. The days when people would be poor and still be respected, those days are long gone. But you're right. We should not be embarrassed to ask for help. We should not feel ashamed to ask for help. You're right. You're absolutely right. If I may, right? Yes, so, yeah, please. embarrassment please. really shouldn't embarrassment shouldn't be a part of it, but we know it is because ultimately our society is structured on you work for what you need, right? Mm -hmm. And so those who can't work for what they need for whatever the reason is, sometimes the reason itself is embarrassing. Sometimes the fact that they're constantly in a down position is embarrassing, meaning like they feel like they can never come out. They always need to have ask for help. They've never been able to be self self sufficient. And that's where a lot of the, 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 the thought process that certain people never want to. So the assumption is that they're, they never can, meaning so the assumption is that they're not trying or they don't want to. And then there's some embarrassment with that and frustration and all that. But I can tell you this, being part of multiple 5013C organizations, when you get donations, they want to see you actively giving those that, that, that out. They want to make sure you're distributing it. So it kind of sets up this cycle where you have to put certain activities on front street. Mm -hmm. 
or else they don't want to give you money because they don't know what you're doing with it. Because ultimately, in our society, we are skeptical of everybody, can't trust anybody, and you have to prove to me that what I gave you for the purpose it was intended was actually used. And so we have to constantly put our events. Every time we do a giveaway, we have to take pictures and put out and put out social media posts to prove to people that give us the money that we're doing something. Wow. Or else they think we're pocketing the money. Mm. And that's part of the problem that we, is created in this system. Yeah, we get taxes on status, so we don't have to pay taxes when we go buy stuff. And we get all this other stuff. But if you don't prove that you're doing something for somebody, then it's a problem. That's why we do a lot of our stuff. We take pictures of our volunteers at the events. And we consent people who agree to be photographed. And that's what we put out there. Because I don't like those videos where somebody's like, oh, look, I'm going to walk up to this person who's homeless and I'm going to give him $100 and then I'm going to take what he does with it to see what he does so I can prove to you that poor right. people just really need a leg up. Like, that stuff is annoying. But there is a side of it where you have to put out what the plight is and who the victims are in order to get people to want to give and participate. So, like, it's this, this thin line we walk all the time. Wow. Well, thank you for explaining it that way, Um I do appreciate that, Wallace. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a shame that's what we have to do, right? But what must be done must be done. And you're right. There is so much dishonesty and so much stealing that's going on now. And um, people pretending to collect funds to help people out. And some people are collecting the money, but they're not telling you how much they collect. And they're not giving it in its entirety to the people that they're collecting it for. So I get it. I get it. I get it. So Javet, we got to swallow our pride and encourage people to seek help. But the other thing I wanted, I wanted to throw in there too, as another reason why people are reluctant to ask for help is that they're coming to you for help means they now have to air their business. I need help to pay my electricity bill. Um, my electricity bill is $200. I'm not able to pay it and I am looking for help. Okay, so why are you not able to pay it? And then you have to start opening up yourself. And it it's making you feel vulnerable because now you have given someone ammunition, so to speak. Could that be a possibility too? We don't want people in our business, so to speak, because we don't want to feel judged. No, that is an accurate description of the psyche of why people don't ask for help. I think you just perfectly explained it right there. But I do see both sides of the arguments where, yeah, sometimes, like, you know what I mean? Desperate measures call for desperate needs. And, you know what I mean? Like, for example, you know, if, it, if it's a situation where you got, you know, put food on your kid's table and, you know, I don't know, shoes on their feet, you know, or, you know what I mean? Like, you know, what's your pride verse, uh, versus, uh, 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 you know, a leaking roof? <laughs> I don't right, know, you know, right. some, 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 you know, major structural damage that is, you know, you got damp and mold and all kind of something there, you know, and them things there, you know what I mean? So, yeah. obviously people have to, you know, weigh up the severity of their situation but what you just described there i think is the whole vulnerability of opening up i don't think people sometimes even have a 
might have a problem asking for the help, but they know that when the people ask for help, people are going to want to know why, and then you're going to have to explain why. Mm-hmm. And as you said, that makes people you know, feel open and vulnerable, and I think that's the crux of the matter why people don't ask for help. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to give people potential ammunition because we see it, it, you know, it happens amongst friends, family, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, you go ask auntie so-and-so for a little change and then two twos at the, at the family gathering, everybody knows. Yep. Your business becomes round table talk business. <laughs> Yeah, and, and how long you took to pay them and all kind of something, you know what I mean? And I discussed that too. Yeah. Whether you did pay on time or you did technical extra time to pay them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, right. and, and you took like you took two days extra, but you know what I mean, to pay them. But, you know, they had to run you down for the money. They always have to exaggerate it, you oh, know what boy. I mean? So, so it's like, it's sad, it's sad. Yeah, it is sad. So here's the thing, folks. If you need help, get the help get the help that you need please please right put your pride to the side so what if they want to talk at least your light won't get cut off so what if they want to talk at least you'll be able to feed your children but what i will say is this do not let me let me back up Get the help that is available out there. You may have to dig for it, but help is out there that can help put you on a path of independence where you're less dependent. The help is there. It is there. If you're able to. Go right ahead. Yeah, good good morning, everyone. Hey, James. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I've been a part of two um, organizations, and what I've find interesting is that um, people are more comfortable with like independent nonprofit, um, nonprofit organizations that are not linked to, for example, a church or um, a certain um, community, but like independent nonprofit that caters to everyone. Um, the 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 part the one that I'm a part of now is it's it's independent it's funded you know um, government put a lot of money into it um, different private organization like for example like um, um, supermarkets um, you know places that like big food establishment that um, like say bread companies or juice companies. Um, a lot of time, what they do, they pump like the excess. Like for example, like certain um, plants, like they would have to do, like say, like a million unit. You know, every time they do it, regardless of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. So what they do, like if the if the, the demand is low, like those stuff end up in the food banks, and they still get to write it off because the government give them um, give them back a lot in when they donate to non-profit so like the food banks and stuff like that they get a lot of those things and i find that people are more comfortable coming to the, the one that i'm um I'm, I'm a part of now because you know as opposed to being you know the one that i used to 
be a part of before, like which is connected to a church. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, because those ones are normally tight-knitted communities, so chances are someone will know you from the community. Or if you're a part of the church, you might not want to use it, even if you. some people rather to die than to use it because, you know, walking into the church, they're going to like, oh, sister so-and-so, you know, come for food and, you know, the, the, right. the small community gossip. So they're, they're less likely to use those ones. So, but there, there's, depending on where you are, there's always organizations out there. So I think people, regardless, you know, you put your, your pride aside and you go get the help, you know, because if it's, in, we live in the type of countries or in North America where it is, you, you, you have the help. So it would be like crazy not to use it because of pride, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. We need to put our foolish pride to the side. All right, thank you so much. Uh, Sorry, moment. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I had an idea, yeah. You yeah, see, like, yeah. You see what James is talking about, that church food banks and everything there, yeah? If. Can you hear me? Yeah, man, go ahead. Loud and clear. Uh, yeah, if, if, you're, if, you, if you deal with them church thing, you know, uh, Sister Agnes for now, say I got a food bank, yeah? Just go to the go to, go to the white people church and food bank. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then your people, they're not going to know, yeah? They <laughs> said, "Go across town." And then, and then, yeah, go across town to the, to, to the other people. Their food bank. So that sister Agnes now got to chat your business. You know what I mean? That's sister, that's sister Merkel. You got to find a workaround. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. That's a good idea. All right. In our next story, um, can you imagine? It's been one year already. One year later. Buffalo honors tops supermarket shooting victims. Story courtesy of NPR. The city of Buffalo took the weekend to honor the 10 lives lost during the massacre at a supermarket one year ago. On May 14, 2022, a white supremacist attacked the Jefferson Street Tops supermarket in East Buffalo, a predominantly black neighborhood, killing 10 people and injuring three, almost all of whom were black. Roberta A. Drury, Margus D. Morrison, Andre McNeil, Aaron Salter, Geraldine Talley, Celestine Cheney, Hayward Patterson, Catherine Massey, Pearl Young, and Ruth Whitfield were all killed. On Sunday, the city held a remembrance service in front of the Topps grocery store, which reopened after the shooting with a moment of silence at 2.28 p.m., the time the attack began. The gunmen took 10 lives, 10 precious lives, and injured three others, and left an entire city traumatized and grieving. Throughout the weekend, a reflective light display was shown on the Buffalo City Hall columns as part of a tribute to the 10 victims killed. According to Brown's office, the surviving family members chose the colors that best represented their loved ones. But as we continue to honor their lives, what has been done to change the gun laws? Well, I hope I saved the video. I came across this video. This is a young lady. I follow her on TikTok as well as on Instagram, I believe. Don't ask me her name. I I totally forgot her name. But Oh my God, she has a thing every Friday. Oh Lord, I'm really losing it. My, <laughs> what's the best thing to take for memory loss? 
Oh my gosh. Um, on Friday, I no, it wasn't on, on Saturday. I saw the video. You never take your well woman today, no? May I tell you? May I tell you? May I tell you? May I tell you? We need help. But yeah, um, let me see if I can find it by using the term parking lot. She does, the, she's in Atlanta, she's based in Atlanta, and she uh did parking lot. Let me see if this is it. I'm I'm not so bad. I am not so bad. See, I may be a little rusty, but she did a video. Her most recent one was with her and uh Kamala Harris, right? Um Lene Venet, that is her name. See, I found it. I found it. So she did one with herself and um Kamala Harris. I'm gonna play it. I found it, folks. See, thank you, Sir Kells. Hey y'all, what's up? It's Saturday. So I'm gonna keep it black. But I'm gonna keep it brief. I'm sorry. What? Well, hi, Lene. How are you? Madam Vice President, what are you doing in my parking lot? Well, this is actually an undisclosed location, but I am here to talk with you. Right, right. Secret Service. Well, I'm here to talk about gun violence. Again. Let's get into it. Last Wednesday in Atlanta, Georgia, 24-year-old Dion Patterson walked into the waiting room of Northside Medical Center around lunchtime and opened fire with a semi-automatic handgun, killing one woman and wounding four others. And I'd really love to talk about something else. I really would. But this shooting actually happened just two blocks away from me while my man was outside walking the dog. And it seems like more and more communities are going to have to be touched by gun violence for the call to action to be loud enough for some type of meaningful legislation to happen. Inquiry minds want to know, why doesn't there seem to be any talk of an executive order? Well, actually, the president's signed an executive order in March. What? That wasn't in my notes. Yes, and that's not all. President Biden and I believe that all people in all communities deserve to be safe, and that is why President Biden signed the most significant gun reform legislation in nearly 30 years. And then he took executive action. President Biden signed an executive order that strengthens background checks, keeps guns out of dangerous hands, and cracks down on gun dealers who break the law. These are important steps, but there is so much more to do. So you two have done what's in your power, and now we're waiting on Congress? Exactly. Congress must have the courage to act and keep Americans safe. Thank you for the clarification. And it's interesting, seeing as some members of Congress seem to be currently occupied with bills about CRT, anti-trans legislation, anti-abortion legislation, and now attempts to mandate that the Ten Commandments be displayed in K-12 classrooms. But I digress. Ooh. Now, the attack itself only lasted about two minutes, but one, the people there and their families will be affected for a lifetime. And two, everyone in the surrounding buildings and areas had to shelter in place for hours because they could not locate the shooter. Patterson was able to cross the street, carjack a truck, and subsequently lead multiple police departments on an eight-hour manhood. And all this may seem like an extremely audacious scenario, one that would come straight out of a scene of Donald Glover's Atlanta. But this is what happens, again, when guns are so easily accessible and when background checks do not adequately screen gun buyers. The policy changes we need are really pretty straightforward. We need background checks. We need need red flag laws. Because here's the thing, you might want to know before someone buys a gun whether they have been found by a court to be a danger to themselves or others. You just might want to know. I think it's reasonable. And by the way, most gun owners agree. Even the majority of Americans support background checks for all gun purchases. Repeatedly, we see that some mass shooters often suffer from or have had a history of mental illness. So how is it that we live in a country where someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis has an easier time getting their hands on an automatic weapon than the care and the help that they need? 
It's pretty straightforward. There are not enough leaders in state houses and in the United States Congress who have the courage to fight for the safety of our children. If they did, they would pass these common sense gun safety laws. For the safety of our children is correct. And I don't know if y'all know this, but part of our vice president's job is to physically travel across the country as one of our nation's leaders. So she was here in Atlanta after the shooting in the massage parlor in 2021, in Chicago last year after the shooting in Highland Park, and Buffalo, New York, when we lost some of our black elders in that grocery store, and then in Nashville to stand in solidarity with the Tennessee Three. And she wasn't just offering condolences, but stressing the fact that we do not have to live like this and making it plain that we would not be silenced in this effort to ban assault weapons. Let us reject the false choice that you're either in favor of the Second Amendment or you want reasonable gun safety laws. We can and we must do both. Tell the truth, shame the devil. We need leaders to join President Biden and me and step up and protect our children. Because how are you going to be a leader when all you're doing is following? Great question. We have had 210 mass shootings this year so far. 110. And I realize to Americans, these numbers probably don't even sound crazy anymore. So let me break it down for you a little bit. In each of the last three years, America has surpassed over 600 mass shootings. Not just gun deaths, not just gun-related incidents, but mass shootings. 610 in 2020, 690 in 2021, and 647 in 2022. And that's just about two a day on average. And I'm tired of preaching to the choir, so yeah, y'all have signed the first gun safety legislation in 30 years and an executive order. But if one side of Congress seems to be twiddling their thumbs, the question is, what are we voting? for at this point. You've seen the stats. Gun violence is now the number one cause of death of our children in this nation. And one in five Americans has lost a family member due to gun violence. And you know, while all this violence impacts communities in devastating ways, we know it does not do so equally. Black people are only 13% of America's population, but more than 60% of homicide victims from gun violence. Well said, Madam Vice President. It's time to get back to work. And I think we're gonna need some more tea. More tea. And more tea is exactly what you're going to get in our very special episode of The Let Out featuring Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. Stay But I don't understand something. So the executive order was signed in March. So is it that the executive order doesn't really have much power? I don't understand. Somebody explain to me. Um, um, is this um some kind of joke or something? What do you mean? On... But... So, 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 so during COVID, somebody can say, yo, are you bringing the COVID? And quick and fast, you sign into something, say, yo, protect, um, hate crime bill for protect this, um, for, for Asian. Which, nothing wrong with that. Because if, if, if it's, uh, um, pure hate speech, I reach a group of persons, you know what I mean, or uh, whatever kind of hatred, yeah, protect them, or protect them, and I have no problem with protecting them, you see me? No, one year anniversary, you see me, of this brother, this white supremacist, this terrorist, go and kill um, a bunch of black people, you get me, I say, and there she go again with this stupid, this stupid talk about, well, friggin', um, we call it. Oh, black people is just thirteen percent of the population. That's false. That don't make no sense. But kind of everybody got do this, this, this stupid census for them all that talk about. So no, so them not know the exact number. But that are them them talking point for them always are used. Well, we can't just do nothing for black people because I just thirteen percent. You know what I mean? I just thirteen percent. Them say Asian people are six percent, but yes, still them could have run and go ahead and make them get them millions of dollars and plus sign things into law for protect them. You get me? I say so. Third, the last time you check, come know me have sense. Thirteen percent now higher than six percent. 
but you know, make sure they get something done for, for, for the Asian community. You get what I say? So, I want know if uh, what I'm telling people for. Why? I don't know. It, but I don't know. This doesn't make no sense to me. That real talk. All right. Thank you, Afo. Um, I'm still trying to understand how does an executive order work because I thought it would be. So based on the question I had asked some weeks or months ago about executive order, and I think I gained a better understanding of it, um, to put it in layman terms, it's like a Band-Aid. All right. So we've applied this Band-Aid. Why aren't we getting more done? I still can't get it. Is it that an executive order is not respected at the state level? It's not respected by folks in Congress. What is this? So what is the purpose of an, of an executive order which seems to be effective with some presidents and ineffective with other presidents? I am trying to understand that part. To, to me, it, it's more ceremonial more than anything. Because like you said, that nothing else is being done, you know, the president signs the executive order. Nothing really happens. It's really just for 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 a signing. Although although the administration seems like they want to do something, but essentially they need the help of Congress to do to do it. And of course, we know how everything works in this country. It's it's polit it's a political issue, as well as as well as we talked talked about in the last few weeks. It's you know the money, the money, the lobbyists. They, they they control they control everything in this country. So while yes, it may be great that you sign a piece of paper to to stop gun violence, and t until we get to the root of the issue and dealing with dealing with the money and dealing with the gun lobby, nothing's going to get done in this in this country. And that's sad. <sighs> Sean. Were you here the other day when I said there needs to be a way, there needs to be some law in place where lobbyists cannot line the pockets of campaigners? There needs yeah. to be a separation. Remove the, the, the remove that from happening. And that is the problem because all it's telling me and further ingraining in my brain is that politicians don't have power. We, the people, don't have power. It's the corporations and those who have the money that have the power, and they're the ones who are really running the country. They're the ones who politicians are appeasing. So I have to agree with Lene when she asked the question, so why, why, why are we voting? And I, I keep asking that question, exactly. why are we voting? Because at the end of the day, we don't have the last say. It's not us. Oh, we vote because it's our what? It's our right. But to what avail? So I will get up and I will go and stand in line, and I will, depending on where I live in this country, as we know, the Republicans are trying to make it as hard as possible for people to vote. Right. So I go out and I stand in line for hours, waiting to vote for what? Because my vote is going to 
not matter because it's the NRA or Big Pharma or whichever corporation that's pumping the money into these politicians' pockets. They're the ones who are going to have their say anyway. So please tell me why I'm voting. What am I voting for? There was another video. Um, I can't play that. Too many um, curse words. But with a young lady... saying everybody needs to stand the hell down because corporations rely on who to make their money us they need our money it's our money we're giving them our money and they take our money and put it in the pockets of politicians to get their way. They're not giving politicians money to because they care about us, the citizens. No, they're not doing it for us. It's about their agenda and what's in their best interest. So this young lady was saying there needs to be a call to action. Am I in the matrix? Oh, my gosh. I just looked down and saw Jared's comment. Um, okay. Um, are you hearing me? Let me know. Let me know if you're hearing me. Thumbs up, hands up, something up. <laughs> Let me know if you're hearing me, folks. I do have um, the red bar across my screen. Okay, so. Okay, Sean says I'm in the matrix. Oh, boy. I have the red bar across my screen. I know the internet just chipped out, too. So hopefully I'm back. Hopefully I am back. Okay. I'm still in the matrix. Javed is saying. All right. Let me see something. Let me know if it's any better now. Is it better? Is it better? Everything is better with butter. Hold on. Hold on. I'm hearing a lot of feedback. So... Okay, so, all right, thank you, Virginia. Better. Now to get rid of the feedback. <laughs> I apologize, folks. I'm talking too much is what it's saying. Mm. Let's find, wait for it to stop. Okay, I think we're good now. I think. Yeah, Um. where was that? What was the last thing you heard me say? Refresh my memory, please. It's the government, yeah. Thank you, Javed. So we need to take our power back. So this young lady that I saw speaking, she said, we need to exercise our power. If we just decided that we're not going to spend any money for a day, two days, or three days, and they recognize how much revenue they're losing, it may force these lobbyists to think differently. And we have to, they're holding us hostage. We need to hold them hostage, in other words. They need our money because without our, without our money, their businesses can't go on. But they don't have our interest at heart or our interests at heart. But it has to be a concerted effort. 
everybody has to be on board. Kind of like with what the Latinos are doing uh, down here, the undocumented, they, they, okay. It doesn't go into effect until July 1st. They ain't waiting, hands down, tools down, ain't nobody moving. And there's a trickle-down effect to that. It's going to affect the loans, these, these construction loans that are given out. It's going to affect something else. I can't say that on air, but it's going to affect something else. We know what built Miami too. So people are not going to be happy. But people only speak money. In the, the only thing they understand in this country is money. And we don't seem to understand that. That's the only way we're going to get through to them. The protesting, nothing. We protest and we protest and we, we hold up placards and we stand up in front of um, different buildings, government buildings, so on and so forth. Nothing. You got to hit them where it hurts, right in the pocket. But you know what the problem is? Why it's not going to happen in my estimation at least? We're not willing to join the fight. Because we are thinking about, damn, if I, if, I, if I take a day off from work and, you know, joined where the, everybody across the country stays home, damn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose out. I don't have PTO time and I got to pay the bill. We are not willing to make the sacrifices that our forefathers were willing to make, point blank, period. We're selfish. And they know that. They know that we're selfish, and that's why they know they have the upper hand. They control us because we allow selfishness to control us. We're not thinking about the greater good. None of us is. We talk a good talk, but when it comes down to action, we're not there. We all run into our hiding places. Let's be real about it. And it I'm okay with opposition to that thought process. As long as it's not affecting me directly, I'm okay. But why should we be reactive and not be proactive and think about the greater good? Because guess what? We don't know when it's going to affect us directly. Tomorrow may be our day. Next week. Next month, we don't know. Go right ahead, Javet. Okay, let me read Javet's comment. Can I also say that when we joined the fight, there were organizations that collected the funding needed for the strikers? Work together, folks. We gotta work together. If Harriet Tubman could do it without um, social media, without technology, what happened to us? I said this last week. We're weak. I said it, and I stand on that. And I'm not excluding myself. We are weak. We don't have the guts and the balls to do what um, they did centuries ago. We don't. we don't what are we afraid of 
we, we right here we talk about the only way to have resolution the only way to to overcome certain things is we have to <laughs> do what we gotta do and i don't have to repeat that but we're all taught i keep asking for us to do it, it's just simple one day boycott but nobody wants to do it even if you say you know something let us go ahead and um stock up our fridges for because this day we're going to make sure that nobody goes to the supermarket all right so you don't want to miss any time from work weekends that's when a lot of money exchanges hands on the weekends that's when a lot of people are doing their shopping go ahead marlon Oh, not open. Sorry. Yeah. Let us say, okay, you know what? This weekend, we're not doing anything. We're not spending a dollar this weekend. Okay, is that uh, more reasonable? Go ahead, Marlon. But I think it's fair in us, for one. And secondly, we just, as you said earlier, we're, we are in our own zone. We don't really care about nobody else. If it's not happening to us or my family, oh, well, they have to figure it out. You know, so I think that's what it is for a lot of us. We It's, it's not touching us, so we good. You know, so, and then the second thing is just fear. We get so fearful of doing stuff or um, the system is designed like that. Those um, ancestors back in the day, they didn't have no fear. They went out and just do whatever they want, you know, and, and trying to do the right thing for us. But this generation, we're just fearful. We're very fearful of losing our lives or losing this or um, losing whatever we have, you know. And I think that's what it is because we're looking at that. We work so hard for it. I can't lose it. You know, so I'm not I'm not gonna help the other person or the other people who need help because I did so much to get my stuff. Because remember, a lot of us is me, my, 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 my. A lot of people is my, my, my. Nobody knows how to work together. We don't know how to work together to get accomplish certain things, especially the black community. We just don't know how to work together to get stuff done. Everybody's on a one-way street. Most of us is on a one-way street. So we have to figure a way to unite so we can get stuff done. Because that's the only way we're going to get stuff done if we unite. But it's going to be very hard for us to unite. And why should it be very hard? We know how to unite to cuss people out. We know how to unite to get into the club before 11 p.m. if it's free. We know how to unite to do certain things. But when it comes to what is going to benefit us and our children and our children's children, we don't know how to unite. But Marlon, Javette asked a question in the chat. Is it fair or trust or is it both? And that's a good question. Can I trust you to be down with me? Both. I would say both. I would say both. Fair and trust. Can I trust that you're going to be with me? Can I trust that, you know what, we all agreed we're going to do 
a, a, a stay at home or we're all, you know, we're going to stay away from work. Some of us are going to go to the streets. Can I trust that um, Sean and Marlon are going to stay home and watch the kids for all, watch all of our kids so that we can get out there and get the voice done? Can I trust that you will show up? Can I trust that if it's a petition that needs to be signed, that you will sign that petition? Can I trust? You can't even trust your own family members, supposed to be family members, you know, because the loyalty, what we're supposed to have for each other, we don't have it. That sucker expires. <laughs> uh, loyalty do have expiration dates, so we do, that expires. So, um, it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know how we're going to get through to us. I don't know how we're going to do it, but it's, 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 it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work. We are so, as we say in Jamaica, bad mind and envious, and we just we don't want to see you do better than me. Or We have to get rid of that. We have to get rid of a lot of the mindset we have, how we think. We ha Once we get rid of some of the, I mean, all of that, or some of it, just, a, just get rid of a little bit of the mindset, what we have, and we probably could be a little bit better. You know, we have to we have to try something because at the end of the day, we cannot depend on executive orders. We cannot depend on the president and 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 and, and the government to take care of us, because they they're doing their part to pull us apart. So we need to stand up and do for ourselves. We cannot depend on the government to do everything for us. We are the people and we have to pull it together to get this thing going. Because if we don't do it, they're not going to do it for us. So we can sit here and blame the system and blame executive order and blame the Chinese and blame... No, we cannot keep blaming everybody. At the end of the day, we have to be accountable for ourselves and our people and everybody around us and join together and stop the foolishness because they're not going to do anything for us. So we have to do it for ourselves. Exactly. Get up, go out there, and do what you have to do to help each other, you know, and, and see how we can pull, you know, pull people together and get it done. That's the Great. only way we're going to get stuff done. Because if you look at the Cubans, they pull together and get stuff done in Miami. They, they do. do. They do. The Asians pull together and get stuff done. They do. So we cannot sit here and blame them and hate on them for they decide to pull together and let it work. So we need to do the same damn thing and stop blaming everybody else for not helping us. We need to help ourselves. We need to help ourselves and stop blaming other people to pull together and work together. Guarantee in this in just in Clubhouse alone, if you decide to say, Hey, let's pull together and do this, 99% of us gonna pull away. We're not gonna help each other. We're not gonna do it. I understand there's trust and there's fear, but if you don't try, you will never know if it's gonna work. Right. Yeah. You know, so we can't sit here and blame everybody for everything. You know, really said Marlon, you know what I mean? Uh, and and that, uh, that I can't understand. Because I see him to me there, I say, 
all these other groups, they make sure they pan code. Whether it's white supremacy, them they pan code. Whether the Asians, them are pulled together, them they pan code. The, the Arabs, the Mexicans, everybody they pan code. But for some reason, we don't know why. We don't, we don't know why. When it comes for some reason, why it's so hard for black people. You know what I mean? Yes, man, understand some things you take place, especially when like the African Americans, did that's the whole pan Africanism and stuff like that. And when them try to reach out to other black person, well, um, like immigrants or stuff like that, them come, they must say, look, I'm, I'm, like the basically say, look, I'm not African American, I'm not black, I'm, uh, I'm Nigerian, I'm Jamaican, I'm Haitian, I'm what, whatever. Division, so them, division. Yeah, so it, so after why black um African Americans like, okay, then forget you then, and that is why I see right now some of these, some of these, uh, well, a few of these activists, I say, we well, have certain platforms. I say, oh, all right, in. Um, we try, so you know, and these are the result. Um, at the end of the day, on the black car, when police stop you or whatever, white supremacist community or whatever it is, they're not gonna say, Oh, yeah, Jamaican, yeah, here, son, no, you're good, man. I want your brother, got you, man. Man, that's your black seat, but at the end of the day, you're Jamaican, you know, Bob Marley, yeah, man, bless up yourself, man, got you. No, at the end of the day, you're black, you're black. So, enough for this stupidity stupidness boy and uh, uh, call out the country where you come from your nationality <laughs> you know what i mean or your ethnic background whatever it is at the end of the day you're one group of people at the end of the day you're black you see me and them don't care where you come from them do all them say is a black skin you get me i say and you're coming to one country where the system is built upon white supremacy you get what i say so you have to know how to pull together. Yes, we understand where some of the Africans they might come across and get vetted certain way before them can even enter the country. Oh, you see, when you see the um, African-Americans stay far from them, don't talk to African-Americans, don't do this, oh, they are criminals, they're this, that, the third, they're lazy. Yes, you may say, but you, you have to have a mind on your own. Why, them pe- uh, why these people are them for stay away from their own people, but they want to be friends with other people who know if they are fucking like we. That doesn't make no sense. Divide and conquer. Is Divide and conquer. That's what it is. So, so black people need to come out of this, this, this whatever it is them in a, you know what I mean? Uh, the, um, take off the shackles them off of your, uh, off of your, 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 your mind. You get me? And just know that at the end of the day, we're all black. You see me, I say, and we are melanated, whatever. You get me, I say, and just come together and pull resources. Don't spend with these people. Do not. If they're not black, don't spend with them. If you're going to miss a chin shop every time, every corner you turn, miss a chin or miss chin, then they look, look on you. I tell you, for, oh, you look like a criminal. Oh, you look like you got thief. All right, Mr. Chin. All right, Miss Chin. Don't say a word, man. You won't ever see me in this again. A matter of fact, you won't ever see somebody who look like me um, in this place here. You see me? It done before in a one, what you call it, um, one gas station. Some, uh, uh, what? Yeah, boycott. You see me? It done before in a one gas station in a, um, I think a Georgia or wherever it was. And the guy that be racist, you get me and say, and the brother put it out there on campaign and said, hey, don't get no more gas. As long as you're black, don't go back in there. So, and right now, um, nobody don't go in there. And he ended up that the black guy end up take over that gas station and him hire other black people for run it for him. You see me, I say? But ho- so, hold on, hold on one second there, Afo. You said something I, and I, it jogged my memory. I'm so sorry to cut you because I tried no, I to you. rush. I tried to get, wrap up to, um, to move on. I, I saw a <laughs> I saw a video on YouTube, a young lady, she is an American, she's a black American, she's lived in San Francisco all her life, 
um, in approaching retirement age, she realized that she will not be able to afford it to retire in, um, in the U.S. So she and a group of her friends, uh, they went to Costa Rica and checked out certain towns. They stayed there for a couple of weeks and they went from town to town, Escazú, um, Huaca, and other places, and you know, to, to figure out what they, where they would want to live. And so the gentleman interviewing her, it's a white man interviewing her, asked her, how do you feel? Because now she's set up shop there. She lives there. She's been there for, I think, five years, and she feels good. And he said to her, what is the difference between living in Costa Rica and living in the United States of America? And the first thing she said was, for once in my life, I can go shopping and not be watched. Born American, lived all her life in this country, worked in this country, but made to feel like a criminal all her life. So there needs to be a purging throughout this country and unlearning and a relearning. Can you imagine? You work, you're born in a country, you're a citizen of a country, natural born citizen of a country. You go to school in this country, you work in this country to help build this country, but you've been treated like a criminal all your life and you have to go to another country to be treated like a human being. And, and that is what a lot of these African-Americans who leave um, um, the U.S. and go to different countries say. But, um, when they're being interviewed and stuff like that, the same talking point, the same thing they must say, yo, we make we look like we're a criminal. And uh, okay, I hear my camera. You're in the matrix. You're in the matrix. So you might have to. You guys can um, hear me? You, you're in the matrix. You might have to just mute. All right. So let me keep it moving. Sorry, Alpha. I hope you are hearing me. A Marine veteran who fatally choked an NYC subway rider, Jordan Neely, is freed pending trial. I do have a sound bite for this one. Let me go ahead and pull it up for you. Now that I team a former Marine accused of putting a subway passenger in a chokehold has been charged and has surrendered now. Tonight, lawyers are painting two very different pictures of what happened that day. 24-year-old Daniel Penny surrendered to police Friday morning. The Marine veteran is facing a second-degree manslaughter charge. He's accused of placing Jordan Neely in a deadly chokehold during a subway ride. Morning, Daniel Penny surrendered uh, at the 5th Precinct at the request of the New York County District Attorney's Office. He did so voluntarily and with the sort of dignity and integrity that is characteristic of his history of service to this grateful nation. Witnesses say 30-year-old Neely, who was homeless... Hold on a second. I'm sorry. I have to back that part up. I'm so sorry with how he's being described. Okay, hold, hold on one second. Sorry. Morning. The Marine veteran is facing a second-degree manslaughter charge. He's accused of placing Jordan Neely in a deadly chokehold during a subway ride. Morning. Daniel Penny surrendered uh, at the 5th Precinct at the request of the New York County District Attorney's Office. He did so voluntarily and with the sort of dignity and integrity. 
dignity and what were well, almost cursed dignity and what integrity dignity and what freaking integrity somebody explain who the hell write these damn speeches for these idiots that stand up behind a podium dignity and integrity he surrendered himself he just murdered a man and you're going to come and apply dignity and integrity to him because he's a veteran? Oh, Lord, bring me back down to a zero because I'm on a level 10. Dignity and integrity. <laughs> I don't know if I have to laugh or cry. So where was his dignity and integrity as he was... Um, choking the life out of the man on the subway where was his dignity and his integrity at that point what about the dignity and the integrity of the man who has lost his life miss me with the BS that is characteristic of his history of service to this grateful nation witnesses say 30 year old Neely who was homeless started acting erratically and screaming at passengers in the May 1st incident. Started to yell in um, violence, language. Um, I don't care if I die. I don't care if I go into jail. Um, I don't have any food. That's when they say Penny placed him in a chokehold for several minutes, killing him. Penny's attorney says he was trying to subdue Neely to protect himself and other passengers on the train, adding that Penny could not have foreseen Neely would die. The Neely family attorney. There was no attack. Mr. Neely did not attack anyone. He did not touch anyone. He did not hit anyone. But he was choked to death. And that can't stand. They've been calling for criminal charges since the medical examiner's office ruled Neely's death a homicide. They say Neely was a street performer who battled mental illness and homelessness for years. His death also prompted several protests throughout the city. One thing we can say for sure. Jordan Neely did not deserve to die. And all of us must work together to do more for our brothers and sisters struggling with serious mental illness. The case now in the hands of the criminal justice system. The case will now go to court. Uh, we expect an arraignment will occur this afternoon, and the process will unfold from there. Penny is free on bond. He faces up to 15 years in prison if ultimately convicted. Dignity and integrity. Mm -hmm. He lives in New York. He's. Right, he, yeah. I'm. Hold on a second, Marlon. He lives in New York. He's aware that New York has people who are mentally ill, who are on the train, who are in the subway, or on the streets. They, they perform. Was the man attacking anyone? He was screaming. He was having a breakdown. And you put him in a chokehold. Why didn't you hold him around his, his torso and try to sit him down? Why didn't you do that instead? You put him in a chokehold and held him there until he died. You didn't see that this man was losing air? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Marlon. I was going to ask, what's the per why, why was he screaming? I was going to ask if we know why it was the guy screaming. He probably have a breakdown. I understand that. But um, 
I don't know. It's just sound too. I, the, the issue I have though is if he's screaming and other people are scared, say there's other people on the train who feel, oh damn, what the heck is this guy going to do? Oh, he, it, has he done this before on the train? And people get scared and nervous. Um, it's a lot of, I, I'm, people may not like me for this. I really don't care. <laughs> Go ahead. But, um, if I'm in that situation and I see somebody look like they're going to do something to somebody else or screaming at somebody else, I am going to try to help. Say, hey, you can't be doing that. Um, you cannot be screaming on the train or putting other people in fear. Possibly he's trying to hold the guy. I remember survivor more kicks in and he's an army vet. They don't train you to keep, to, to put people, to keep them alive. When you when when you're an army vet, they don't teach you stuff like that. They teach you to put people down, regardless of what you're doing. Nothing is going to happen to him. He's going to get away. And my other issue is, if your family member know that's how you are, why wasn't one of his family member there with him when he's out there performing? I know everybody got to work, but they make time for everything else. Everybody tend to show up when something happens. Mm -hmm. I can speak for my brother. My brother is mentally ill. My mother is there with him 24-7, take him to the doctor, wherever he has to go, to make sure he's okay and not doing harm to other people. Why every time something happens, everybody comes out, other family member, and trying to get the bag? Why weren't you helping him from earlier? I understand that you got to work. We have to make sacrifice for our own too. Don't just show up when it, when it's time to collect a check. You need to show up for your family member if you know that person is mentally ill, or if because uh, we know how our family member, we know how they stay, and we know they they get breakdown and all this stuff. Right. I'm not picking up for anybody. What the guy did was wrong, but we have to be accountable for our stuff too and cannot go and say this and that or whatever because at the end of the day if i feel myself as in danger on a train it's a possibility i do the same thing and when you're holding somebody and somebody's fighting the back you don't even know how, how hard you're holding that person but it's his neck marlon why did he have him it in does, a choke hold that's the, I, that's the place you owe anybody who is in a fight if you watch everybody who fights but that's the first they go for is your neck to hold you in a choke. Okay, hold on, Marlon. Hold on a second. Back to the story, right? He approached him from behind. So he wasn't facing this man, you know. He was behind him. Why couldn't he have held him around his torso? Why did he have to go for his neck? Number one. Number two, he was not attacking anybody. He was simply screaming. He was screaming and saying he doesn't care if he dies. He doesn't he he said something about food. He never attacked anyone. So why the need to put him in a chokehold? I don't think that was necessary. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna say it's necessary, but the guy he probably just he just went in a, a survival mode and trying to help these people on the train. I'm not picking up for him. I'm just saying, if you I understand the guy's screaming, I know the guy is there making a lot of noise. Somebody from New York who who rides the train all the time probably can tell you. All right, let me it's, jump to the chat. So comments are in the chat for my new from my New Yorkers, Marlon. Let me let me let me tell you what they're saying. So Geely says, um, well, let me back up. Uh, go 
Okay, so Tasha says almost $2 million has been raised for his legal fund. Eric Adams, please be quiet. Javed said, why didn't you try and have a conversation with him? Um, Jilly said it's regular for people to have mental episodes on the train. So New Yorkers are accustomed to this, Marla. Excuse me. Normally, okay. you just go to another train if they're not violent. Tasha says, as long as you don't touch me, I'm good. Just move to another train car. Um, Virginia says, it doesn't matter. Military should know their strength on civilians. Instead of forgetting about it, he was not in a war zone. And I have to agree with Jillian, uh, with um, Virginia on that one. And Geely says, exactly, Tasha. I don't understand why he didn't just move to another car. So New Yorkers are accustomed to it. I remember when I was a teenager, and I have a cousin that um, she would go. She didn't grow with her dad in New York. She grew because uh, my uncle sent her to Maryland to his brother and his, um, his wife to grow up there because he didn't want her in New York. And when she would be in New York on holidays, she would tell you, you know, oh, if you ever come to New York and you got to ride a train, just twitch or just act like you're crazy. You'll be all right. Nobody going to mess with you. So New Yorkers are accustomed to seeing people who are mentally challenged from Wapikil Philip. It's nothing new to them and they know how to deal with it. Why did he feel the need to put this man in a chokehold? There were other things he could have done. And Javet, you are right. He was probably suffering from his own PTSD because he's a veteran. And we know a lot of these veterans, and we spoke about this last week, a lot of veterans come out with, with terrible PTSD and they're not getting help for it because as was mentioned, the VA is not the place to go to get quality um, treatment for that. So that's a valid point there too, Javet. What do we say on that one, Marlon? Right. I agree. I agree with the New Yorkers uh, 100% because they live there. I don't. Move to another train. I understand that. And uh, Ms. Javet is, is correct too. The PTSD is a possibility. He's suffering from his own right. and you probably think he's in a war zone or because I've known veterans who just snap if they hear a lot of things or, or a little screaming, or a little, little uh, fireworks and stuff, they, they do snap. So the possibility he's suffering from that yeah. as well. Yeah, we have to but take that into consideration. Sorry, go ahead. To, no, we have to take that into consideration. But I, I'm just saying that it's he's probably just going in survival mode. He's just trying to go and see how he can protect people because I don't know. I, 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 I'm not in his skin. I don't know the reason why he snapped. Mm -hmm. I do something he's in the back of his head. He wanted to do for a while. And I don't know if you ride the same train with the guy every day. And the guy has been like this before. We don't know mm -hmm. the, why he did what he did. We don't know, but it could be a PTSD from his side. And then the guy just let him snap. I re we really don't know. So we know. Yeah. We just have to wait and see what happens. And but my issue, the family members need, if they know you were there and you know that's the type of person you are, why wouldn't somebody just, just, just there with him? I don't know. I, I'm just putting it out there. Gotcha. I don't, I don't know. Gotcha. But Empress now is also asking the chat and I, I did not see the video Empress, but Empress is saying, um, also, why did the other man assist with holding this man down so okay so another person is involved with holding him down 
The other person didn't say, hold on, hold on, back off, back off. He's losing breath. He's, he's going unconscious. We're losing him. No, no, nobody, nobody, nobody. Well, how we can go back to what we said earlier, nobody cares. He's okay. probably poor and homeless. He's homeless, so it's we can get one more off the street. I'm sorry. That's how I'm looking at it. Nobody cares. Uh, but do not tell me that this man who put him in a chokehold has integrity. What, what's the other word? Integrity and what? What, what? what are the words? Integrity and dignity. Don't, don't, don't give me that. I'm sorry. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, moments. Uh, right. What was the video? Three somebody, the former military guy having another short call, and two somebody I hold him on. Uh, uh, you know, two, and all three white. And my uh, my problem was this. So you, everybody seems like them know him. You know what I mean? Say, so, all right, um, this brother is a street performer. And you know, him have mental issues and whatever, whatever. And at first and at the second, based upon what other people are saying. So everybody just knows that I'm as well with a Jamaican and say, I'm a madman that time. I say I'm always going. As long as you not touch you, you're good. You get what I say? Um so when them say that take place, these three he, uh, white man are all on this bread up on the train, you get what I say, with them know is a melt of un, um unsound mind. Instead of take out your phone and a video, nobody gonna run come for push them off and say, hey, what you do? You know what I mean? Look how much time you watch news and you see march and protest go on where man have man in a true call or knee pan neck or whatever it is and would end up know the outcome. You get me I say? And you see this brother here, hold this brother in a true call. You see me? For Wow, several minutes. I think we have 15 or more minutes. Okay, that, that's a problem. Man, that's a problem. And yeah, and two other men rolling and, and nobody, nobody, no go and push them off. You get me, I say? No, we not got to talk about no PTSD because nothing else say him have no PTSD. You see me, I say? But so we can't rule it out. But we can't rule it out. We cannot rule it out because he's a veteran. <laughs> We can't rule it out after. I understand where you say moments. We can't rule it out, but me now got to show that thing because every that I come like every time something go on. Oh, mental illness, mental illness, mental illness. But but hold and on, Alpha. Bring. Say, oh, I'm glad you emphasize that. Illness. I'm glad you. No, no, no. We can't stop talking about it. You know why we can't stop talking about it? In the video that I played, Lene said to um, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris that we are aware there's a mental health issue in this country so why is it so hard then for us to get help for these mental health issues it is easier to get a gun than it is to address the mental health issues so we are fully aware of that mental health is going to come into play and you know why we can't rule it out because it is going to be presented listen out for it it is going to be presented in building this case the defendant the, his lawyer they are going to use that wait for it guaranteed so if oh, we are already, no. oh, so sorry. if we are going to say ptsd and we are we are fully aware that there's a mental health crisis in this country we need to make it a priority so that people who are coming out of war post-war they get the help that is needed so that they can get back to society feeling more normal as well as we have to get help for the people who are homeless 
known to have mental health issues, we need to have help readily available for them. And Marlon brought out a valid point. Yes, why is it that family members aren't there to help? The truth is, Marlon, unfortunately, everybody is not in the same situation. There are some people who are in cities where family members don't live. That's the truth of the situation. Some people are in cities all by themselves because they probably have moved there, ran away from home for a myriad of reasons, right? Sometimes family members can't control their loved ones who are out there, right? Whilst we agree wholeheartedly that they seem to show up when it's time to collect a bag, we know that, we know that. But we also have to look at the other sides of it as well. All right. Um, Okay. 60 seconds. Yeah. 60 seconds. Because I do Uh, have two (laughs) more stories. Yeah, man. And I'll show you. Even though I have persons who them rally together. So after everything, people come together and donate and everything. I I think at the time, we don't have to figure Ghana, but at the time, they raised like 60,000. It's up to 2 million now. You are proud. No, we're not talking about the Marie. We're not talking about Jordan Neely. Fun. Yeah, we said they raised like sixty thousand or some change at the time, um, for uh, in burial and thing for the farmer for burial. Okay. And then, not nearly was well, um sorry the, the marine the farmer marine was at uh three hundred and something thousand and then after a while we hear say it was up by um one one point something million dollar. <laughs> you get me? And we I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna watch the comments them everything and people are. A rally for him, like a rally for this brother, yeah. You see me? No, you have a few persons that say, I wish me said the same thing. This man here is a trained marine, so you know, and you know when for use force and when not for use force. You see me? I say, and you have this brother here who just make nice on the train, not touch nobody. In a, a true all right, gotta wrap up, wrap up after land, me? land. Mm-hmm. Him know, all right, him know what I do, and yes, they might got, they might got bring in this. Stupidness, but oh, um, 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 he must suffer from PTSD because what they want to make sure they want him case. You get what I mean? I say, but if you forgot jail, prison, if you forgot prison, because him take a, a man life for no reason, so if you forgot prison, and the two will help him for what long him well him down, if you forgot prison too. There were two of them need for God. All three All right, I got to keep it moving. I got to keep it moving. All right, thank you, everyone, for your comments and your voices. All right. Uh, New York City to open first asylum seeker arrival center and additional relief center for migrants. CNN is reporting that New York City will open it, the city's first asylum seeker arrival center next week as hundreds of migrants continue to arrive in the city each day following the expiration of a pandemic pandemic-era border restriction. The center will double as the city's ninth humanitarian emergency response and relief center. As officials continue to plea for more state and federal government support in handling what Mayor Eric Adams refers to as a national crisis. Officials have warned that the expiration of Title 42, which went into effect on Thursday, could invite a crush of migrants and aggravate the humanitarian crisis at the southern border. The policy has been kept in place by the courts and used by the Biden administration to deal with migrants. Adams said in a news release on Saturday at the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, which has been, um, well, Adams said in a news release 
on Saturday that the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown Manhattan, which has been closed for nearly three years, will host the Arrival and Humanitarian Center. The location will serve as a centralized intake center for all arriving asylum seekers and providing migrants with access to a range of legal, medical, and reconnection services, as well as placement if needed in a shelter or humanitarian relief center. The statement did not indicate exactly when the center would open, but it said beginning later this week, the Roosevelt Hotel will open 175 rooms for children and families with the intention of expanding to include more availability at a later date. Since last spring, New York City has processed more than 65,000 migrants and around 35,000 remain in the city's care, according to city officials. The city has opened more than 140 emergency shelters and eight large-scale humanitarian relief centers to manage the crisis. Scotus, Scotus, Scotus. <laughs> the Supreme Court outlawed split juries, but hundreds remain in prison anyway. We're going to talk about this tomorrow on Coffee in Toast, so you definitely don't want to miss that one. Also coming up tomorrow on in Coffee in Toast, we have some headlines that we did not get a chance to get to. Uh, today we have um, North Carolina's governor vetoed the 12-week abortion ban, setting up an override fight. We have that coming up. Also, tomorrow, we want to talk about how Congress wants to regulate AI, but it has a lot of catching up to do. And we definitely want to highlight that. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let me see if I can squeeze this one in. Um, the Minnesota man who invented a bear-powered motorcycle. Yeah, let me squeeze this one in, and then I will do the wrap-up. While I'm waiting for it to load up tomorrow as well in Health and Science, we're going to talk about hospitals having to create police force uh, excuse me police forces to stem growing violence all right here we go and it is loading uh, well one uh, well one man isn't just drinking beer he's using it as fuel kai michelson's beer powered motorcycle is getting around minnesota instead of a gas engine the bike uses a 14 gallon keg with a heating coil inside. This is real. Michelson believes his bike can reach 150 miles per hour. And I like to be really creative, do things that other people have never done in the past. Yeah, it can be any kind of liquid. It can be Red Bull, it can be caribou coffee, it could be anything, but beer, why not? <laughs> <laughs> While he hasn't used the motorcycle on the road just yet, he's won a few local car shows. Very cool. So some may say it's a waste of beer, though. You might say that. That's right. <laughs> Gas, electric, or beer. Those yeah. are your options now. Yeah, so <laughs> hopefully um, he won't get a fight being very creative. How dare you use bear? But I hope it works. And we can put our bear to use that way. All right, folks, it is that time. It's time for us to do the wrap-up on air. Time has certainly gone by pretty quickly. Sorry about that. Wish we had more time, but we don't. And every time they play one more song, song. I must hold on, cause I came here to rock you right. right, 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 right. Oh, yo, yo, yo.
to give a big thank you to everyone that logged on to the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. For quality music while you work or play, keep it locked on to www.QMZRadio.com for that good music to get you through your day. Big thank you to everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Download the Jano Radio app, J-A-H-K-N-O. It is available in your Apple and Google Play stores. Jano Radio, take us on the go. Of course, I have to say thank you to each and every one that is right here with me on Clubhouse and everyone else that was here earlier. Thank you so much for lending your voice to the conversation and lending your thoughts, your perspectives, your views and your opinions via the chat. Coming up later on tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern, Days After Dark, live on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com, and on JanoRadio.com. 10 p.m. Eastern, go ahead, set your alarms. It is real relationship talk. Join the crew, myself, Sunette, Javette, Rosolo, and Marlon. The live conversation happens right here on Clubhouse. It's our secret. Nobody else ain't got to know. Let me rock it. Girl, when you see a whole lot of rest, I don't know already I might want to undress. By the time that we leave in the fed, I'll be a king, you'll be my empress, yes. But even if we stay right here, I'll rock you till the morning come. I really want to rock you to every song. Oh, 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 oh. I want to rock you all night. Your body's like a magnet. To my listeners on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com and JanoRadio.com. This was a Moments With Me media production. Moments With Me signing out. Catch you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, for another episode of Coffee and Talk. Rock, 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 rock you. Oh, 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 oh.